Is he ready to do a show? Uh, yeah, we'll okay. do. We could do a show, yeah. Showtime. It's it show is time. showtime. We missed last week. Uh, well, it's holidays. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I am Brian Irwin. And I'm John Huck. Uh, I am fresh off of the biggest mistake I've made in a long time last night. Uh-oh. Uh, my oldest son is a Seahawks fan. He wanted to go to the Seahawks-Rams game at oh. the Coliseum. And all I can say is I'm not going to another live football game. That's because fair. Because people, fans are assholes. Yeah. And it got tiresome after a while. It's just like I wanted to just stand up without getting punched in the face, of course. What, yeah. And be like, you do know that the guys on the sidelines don't give two shits about your passion and your desire to want to rip people's thoraxes out over your pride over a team, you morons. But it just went on and on and on to the point where it just you just sit back and you're like, all right, so we're we came here to watch, you know, people argue, not really a game. What? Uh, who was who was worse, Rams or, or well, Seahawks that, so, fans? Okay, it was Seahawks fans fighting each other each about other. the level of acceptable pride and support of your team. It turned out that first off, I love it when people dress like clowns and then they get in fights right. because they don't realize how stupid they look. When they get all dressed up in their go team, first shit. of all, they look stupid anyway. Then when they get in a fight, it like compounds it by like ninety. Yeah, and then put alcohol into it. Oh well, that's ideas. why they're fighting, dude. There's not. I guarantee you, there aren't two sober people like. Oh, you're not rooting hard enough for the team we both love. Like, oh yeah, I'll show you who's gonna root harder. And then they start fist fighting. Sober people don't do that. It's all alcohol, and it's all also you're 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 fueling people watching a super violent game. With booze, which makes people super aggressive. Yeah, and again, I want to be very clear. Not everybody, but just the section I was in, this, sure. was, this was the problem. And it all started with one guy standing up right at the beginning of the game. And these two Rams fans that were sitting between us and that guy, super quiet, nice guys, who apparently go to a lot of games. And I'll tell you why I know that in a sec. But they said to the guy, just very play, like, hey, man, um... Would you mind, like, just sitting down every once in a while? And he turns around and goes, it's a football game. Why don't you stand up? That's how we support our teams, by standing up the whole game. Nobody came here to sit. And I was like, and here we go. So it's all about him and his agenda and what he believes in the moment. And everybody else must evolve around him, right? And it's just like, he goes, this isn't the opera. This is a football game. And the guys were like, okay, man, just chill out. And then a Seahawks fan hardcore, like, old dude, either has been in prison, military, something, was like, why don't you shut the fuck up? And then I was like, and here we go. To, and the, I have, to the guys that were standing the up? other Seahawks fans, yes. And I was like, and it's gone off the fucking rails. Wow. And like, so then it just turned into a fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you voted for Trump, fuck you, you faggot. And then it was like, oh, Ooh. and, yeah, it got, it yeah, started turning into, and then faggot. finally... And I had to stop my wife because we were sitting there. I got three young kids with me. Finally, my wife's like, hey. And I was like, I'll take care of it. And I was like, hey, everybody, how about we take it down a notch on the shit we're saying out loud? Because there's a little kid right here. Oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. Fuck you, man. Anyway, I was like, it's just like they couldn't. They were like pit bulls. Like once they've made a decision yeah. to go down that path. And it was just. It pit just bulls are on. actually probably more organized and it, more intelligent. It just went on for a really long time. And then fortunately for my wife. Uh, she went to go get something to eat, and and because they don't know how to, they don't know how to handle. Apparently, when you own a place that fits seventy thousand people, they don't know how to serve them. So she was gone for forty five minutes, missed half the game, standing in a line waiting a to hot get, dog. It just w- waiting to get. Yeah, it's just the whole thing was ridiculous. And then when we were leaving, 
eventually those guys separated because I was like, oh god, they're gonna wait until the end of the game, right? And then they're gonna kick the shit and out of each other. And then they're gonna other. fight, yeah, because it's just like I could tell the one guy kind of had that look of rage. Like I've hurt people before. I have no problem because he kept saying that to the standing, the guy that was standing up. He's like, I'll take you out back. I'll take anybody. Anybody still using the phrase? Let's out take it out. Back. Let's take it out back. Yeah, that guy's been in some fights in his time, right? Yeah. So then we start leaving. We go down the tunnel, and Natalie, my wife, and my youngest son are ahead of me, and these guys get in a fight, and the guy comes running right at uh, um, my wife and my little kid, and she puts his, her hand on his chest. is like, get away from my child. And then I was like, all right, well, this, I've had enough of this. I'm like, this is insane. Like, you people are insane. Yeah. What are you fighting over? Yeah. Couldn't wait to leave. It was a it was a horrible like I, we just wanted to go watch some football with the kids. And I realized afterwards, I'm like, there's a reason why there's certain places I don't sit at Dodger games. Sometimes. Oh yeah, I've been there. Dude, don't go people. to the, don't sit in the outfield. Don't sit in the family section. The family section is insane. I just but it goes back to what you're talking about about like there's there's this there's this weird aggression and mixing it with alcohol and some bizarre pride over people that would never in a million years want to ever hang out with you. If you're oh, just, man. By the way, if you've ever seen the movie The Fan yeah. with um, Oswald uh, Pat and, uh, Oswald in it, it pretty much sets up everything you should know about fans and athletes. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I did last night. But Wow. Uh, yeah. I, the last over. Never the last, see a live football game. The again. last Not live interested. football game I went to. When I was a kid, my dad would we would go in an RV. We would go to Bears games, be in the parking lot. Back then, you could go in and out of the game the whole time, no problem. So we would be in the parking lot. All my dad and his buddies would have their beers, be barbecuing. Then we'd go into the game. If it was cold, we'd come back out to the RV. You know what I mean? My dad never bought a beer at Soldier Field. Like he all he drank all his beer in an RV and then just went back into the game. Were the you fans know? aggressive? I've been to a couple Bears games and I don't. I, I remember a little bit. Like there's barely any aggression at all at Packers games. Like everyone's just kind of because like, everyone there is a Packer fan. Well, but there's just not a great like. But you, but I'm telling you, yeah. I had fans no, 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 of the same team fighting that. each other. I understand that. I understand that. But you're looking at a, when you look at the Packer organization, you're looking at an organization that is like basically owned by the fans, and that has has more of a more of a history than I'm sorry than Seattle or L. A. or whatever. Like it's one of the oldest football teams, one of the oldest franchises, one of the oldest um, sporting. You know, yeah. going to Lambo is like an event. Going to see a Seahawks game is like, oh man, it's loud here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like th there's there's just a, there's a difference in in and this is coming from me, a guy who's not a fan of the sport. So I yeah. see a difference just in that. And when I did watch, and there were there were rough, rowdy, drunk motherfuckers at yeah. these Bears games I went to as a kid. I'm not. I mean, I, I I saw it. I went to a Bears Packer game there once. That was insane. But the people that I was annoyed with the most were Packer fans, and they were like. These seventy-year-old ladies who wouldn't shut the fuck up. But but a lot of people don't go looking for fights, and I don't understand the idea of being willing to fight for something so ridiculous, which is the love of a specific sports team. It's just so stupid to me. Well, and by the way, they also <laughs> did drag the whole Donald Trump like politic thing, and I'm like, oh my god, this world is just so jacked right now. Like you just can't escape this stuff, you know. I remember, I, I remember I was going to say I remember the last live football game I went to me and my brother went down to San Diego to see Bears Bears uh Chargers preseason. And I I hated the stadium and everything was annoying. Everything was really expensive. I could barely pay attention to the game cuz I couldn't see what was going on. And then on the way out, I had a Bears jersey with my last name on it and this guy was like, "I never heard a huck." And I turned around and I was like, like again, super aggressive and I was like, Oh yeah? Well, that's my uncle. I said something like Kenny Huck. He played fucking he played 
He was an offensive lineman from 72 to 75. And the guy goes, oh, oh, oh that's cool. He was a San Diego fan. He wasn't even really angry. He was just like, I've never. And he was like, oh, man, that's cool. Do you guys want to go get beers? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like fuck you. And I like walked away. Oh, good. Good and job. I You're part of the away. problem. That's great. Absolutely. You know what I mean? At that point. But but I was just saying, like, that the whole experience was like, why would I, If even if I really liked football, why would I go to a game? I could, you could see it much better on your television. You can pay attention to it. No lines to the bathroom. No expensive beers. No loud mouths. It's like. I think that's the biggest thing for me at the end of the day. I mean, I hate to boil it down to that, but I'll put a button on it, is, is you're paying a shitload of money, mm-hmm. a shitload of money to go there and be f- irritated by assholes. What is the point? Because there, there is no, and look, there's only, you can't, you can't as an organization control 70,000 people. There's going to be douchebags within that core group that that's just what they do. And I know a lot of people are like, price them out. No, you, price has nothing you, to do Then you're going to enrage the people that aren't doing that, that now have to pay a million dollars a ticket. That's not it's, fair no, either. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work either way. And anyway, the team doesn't you can still need be an any more goddamn money. So, no. Yeah. But, dude, uh, we have a, fr- a mutual friend who played in the NFL. Yeah. He bought see, – he goes, when the Rams came back to L.A., he's like, dude, you want to get season tickets? I was like, no, man, I don't even watch football. He's like, but, dude, we're going to go to games every Sunday. I go, you enjoy that. <laughs> The ne- after the first game, I see that he's got all his tickets online for sale. I go, hey, man, that what happened? It? He goes, bro, I've never watched a football game from that vantage point, and I never want to again. And also, it was 95 degrees. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, dude, football in L.A. is a dumb idea. <laughs> well, the good thing, it was late last night, so it was it was actually nice. It was right. actually pretty chilly. So what else is going on? Oh, uh, nothing. I've been doing... Um, uh, locations work. Yeah, you have. Yeah, dude. So I'm learning another aspect of production. Yeah. Which has been actually, the, I mean, the job came around at the right time, but I just did my uh, my first kind of on my own. Uh, I did a battery commercial the other day in the rain, dude. I I've lived in Welcome Los Angeles. Location work, John. For 20 years, <laughs> it has rained probably 70 times in 20 years, right? In those 70 times, I've probably worked maybe twice in the rain. And this month, I've worked five days in the rain. It's been really crazy. It's been really crazy. But and like, I, it doesn't bother me. But when you're in locations, you, all you're looking at is like, oh my god, look at all this mud. Like, it's <laughs> just coming in and out of a house. You're like, Jesus. Um, but it's been fun, man. It's been really fun. A battery commercial that where the first AD was the same first AD from the Capital One spot I did in Mexico like years ago. He walked on to set and he goes, oh my God, cheeseburger. And I go, holy shit, I haven't been called cheeseburger since you called me cheeseburger on set yeah, in 2007 well, guess what? Somebody's got a new podcast nickname. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to the show, Cheeseburger. Well, if we were going to do a... Why ra- Cheeseburger? If, 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 well, because I in the Capital One spot, this guy's like pulling up ways to get off the island and I'm like, then he accidentally pulls a picture up of a cheeseburger off his phone that he had taken a picture of and I was like oh my god cheeseburger and I reach for it okay. and in the spot I knock the TV over and I knock over every chance we have of getting off the island okay so it wasn't you weren't known as the guy that I wasn't all pounding cheeseburgers. cheeseburgers no my okay. line my only line in the commercial was cheeseburger uh, okay. and then at the end I say what's in your I kept saying what's in your wallet and they were like it's your and I'm like yeah what's in your wallet and they're like it's your and I'm like, what's in your wallet? And they're like, <laughs> look, we know you're from Chicago. Just say your. So I was like, your. What's in your wallet? Days like, of your. Days of your. It was really funny, but that was a great. That was actually a lot of fun doing that commercial. But anyway, uh, that's what I've been up to, man. Doing that. Uh, had some spots here and there. Uh, more auditions this month than I've had all all year. Um, got put on a veil for a Ryan Murphy Netflix show, and then got taken off. 
Um, that happens. Yeah, it was a two-line audition, which I fucking hate because you. Get, what are you supposed to do with two lines? Hey, you there, knock it off. And it was like, it was I literally like, it was like, know. and I went in with like, I was going to be play annoyed. And the first thing the lady says is, all right, don't play this annoyed. And I go, okay. <laughs> so I was just, I just literally said the lines and then shook my head. And that was enough to get me put on a Fire. veil for this oh. thing and then let go. But... <laughs> I don't think I was. I don't think I was old enough. It was an older person whose nickname was Red. It was like this old record executive named Red. But I was like, mm. well, that's there's the good and the bad of that. You're not. They don't see you as old. Well, the good was like being put it. on a veils even for it. I knew I was going in against what they were looking for, and every time I do that, I get a pretty good reaction from the people, the casting people. Yeah, which is it was always interesting to me. Also, I have been putting in way more effort into auditions, which, good or bad, is at least a practice and a habit I wanted to get into. Do you anyway. like it? I do. Okay. I like, well, well I like, I like just trying to figure out, like, who a character is and making, making, so, making, doing something in the room that might be a little different, but also, like, if the character's not supposed to be different, just letting them know that I can do this, this is my look, if it fits with what you want, I'm, I'm a good match. You know what I mean? Like, but I do look at it now as all... <clears throat> practice you know there was one audition for a nickelodeon thing i didn't go out for i was working that day it was super far away and i was like every time i go in for those i, I it's never i'm either never big enough or i just don't look like what they want so never big enough big name uh, or, no, or big, over big, like uh, over uh, like over the top like because you like when you go in for a nickelodeon or disney show it's like it's, all the yeah, parents or all the adults comedy, yeah are morons like it's like i don't even know how to brush my own teeth and and the kids kind of run everything so you have the bigger fucking moron you can be which is kind of funny a second. you're I, telling me you don't I go to can't. every audition with your dick van dyke trip ottoman dude i i roll it into the room first <laughs> and then i walk in and then i find out that they weren't even rolling i ask them to do it again it doesn't go well the second time <laughs> no i mean it's it's fun doing those. It's it is fun. It's fun being over the top. It's fun being big. It's fun being stupid and like, you know, playing an idiot. But like, and th then I try to play them really serious too. Like every goofy adult, I like try to add the tone of like I am an adult. Yeah, and that just comes <laughs> off creepy though. That's the problem. That's why you sometimes, have to go big. Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. You're not yeah. here to scare the kids, John. Well, sometimes you are. Well, I mean, sometimes okay, if you're, you're doing, uh, yeah. If you're doing uh, goosebumps, then yes. <laughs> I'm auditioning a lot of R.L. Stein stuff. Um, I'm just kidding, but yeah, man, that's me. That's that was the last. And then I went. My wife took a job in Costa Rica, so she's in Costa Rica till December 22nd. All right. So I've been uh, on my own uh, online a lot, looking at uh, uh, RV and refurbished van websites, yeah. <laughs> yeah. stuff I know she wouldn't let me look at when she was home. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, uh, so. That's just it, man. Just working, and I've been trying to write too a little more. I got. Yeah, you should stop that. That's oh, frustrating. I, I'm, a, I'm in. I'm in under contract now with 800 Pound Gorilla. They're going to put out my new CD, uh, hopefully beginning of next year, uh, early, as early as they can next year. But we're working on like tracking it out, and then you know doing some cartoons and some stuff to go along with it and promote it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. I'm very excited, and I have Dan Cummins to thank for that, man. He had me in Nashville with him, and he introduced me to him there. And thank you, Dan. Yeah, and then also it turns out that Dan, this guy Dan Dion, who was the photographer on a Showtime thing I did set for South by Southwest, a comedy stand-up thing they had. Uh, he was the photographer for that. He now works directly with 800 Pound Gorilla. He's like a 
staff member there helping people to get albums cut. So it's kind of nice uh, just knowing some people over there. But yeah, um, that's that's it. I'm looking forward. I got shows coming up at the very end of the year and then early on in the beginning of the year. And I'm trying to book out my calendar and hope an audition hits and keep doing this locations thing as long as I need to or as long as I can. And that's that. It's good stuff. I'm just getting high all the time with my edibles, my Dude. CBD. Uh, you know what? We should call you a CB daddy. CB daddy. CB and, daddy. And so it's, so I went back and stayed with my family for a couple days, and like the and it's so funny. My dad, we know he listens because they joke about it, right? Uh-huh. And it, the first thing he says to me when I get home, he's like, "Oh, I, I saw you got a new podcast out, like whatever one we had put out right before Thanksgiving." And he doesn't ever say like he's yet to say. Yeah, it's funny how you keep telling me not to listen on the show. Like, he doesn't even acknowledge it. He just talks to me about the topics and how interesting every person is and how he loves the fact that he gets a little tidbit from each person's story. He likes the fact that he's learning something new from every person that he But he never talks about the fact that I talk about him on the show. It's pretty funny. That's hilarious, dude. That is hilarious. Speaking of that, should we bring in a... Yes, let's bring in our guest. I our feel like tease. We, we, had te- we did a tease. Well, we did a teaser. He was, well, yeah, he was we, in yeah, early. He was in early. early. Now, if you, now, if you heard the voice, call in and guess who it is. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our guest today, we've been trying to get him on the show for a little while. Uh, somebody I've known for, fuck, I want to say 15 years at this point. Um, comedian, actor, writer, Tarun Shetty. Hey, hey, thanks, John. Thanks Did he get it right? <laughs> Did yeah, he get it right? He got it perfect. perfect. Did he? Yep. Oh, okay, because off air we were talking about the fact that you've just come to accept the fact That's that... how white people say your name. Yeah, it is, but... Wait, uh, which one? Tarun. 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 Wait, no. Shetty, Shetty. Wait, which one is the real one? So, so... Well, not real one. Which one is the proper way to say your name? So, I'm Indian. I'm South Asian, so it's actually pronounced Tarun. 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 Okay. But I grew up in New Hampshire, Okay. So, oh. Yeah. So yeah. I was surrounded by white people all my life. So they would just say Tarun. Is there an accent there too that would already bastardize it on top of it? Do you think? Uh, there Th- is like a an double down in in uh, in New Hampshire, but I don't have it. I was I was brought up in Laconia, which is kind of like you know middle New Hampshire. Oh, so, so if you're closer to the coast, is is that where you get the more you strong, get the Maynard kind of Manchester, you know? Yeah. Something like that, oh, you know. oh, would that be more like fucking yeah, like Ben, <laughs> yeah, like there you go. the town. That is true, because I grew up in Wisconsin, and, like, if you go to South Milwaukee, the accent is far, far, which is weird. Like, it's you're talking about miles difference. Yeah. And you're like, what happened between those miles? That, well, it's that also a lot It's changed. it's also a lot dialect, thicker if you go north in Wisconsin. Yeah, like, yeah. when you get up to Lake Superior. Closer to Canada, et cetera, et cetera. So you would think after Thanos came out, they'd start getting it right. You know, <laughs> they'd true. finally start <laughs> actually true. getting that part, the front part. I know. Come but, on, people. It's true. You lived in New Hampshire growing up, uh, born and raised there? Yeah, born and raised in uh, New Hampshire. I used to do a joke back in my act. I was like, we were the only Indians in my hometown. So, like, every Christmas, my neighbors would sing Feliz Navidad to us. Because <laughs> they didn't know. Yeah, They're just like, different colored skin. Yeah. This yep. must be the Christmas song they love. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it, but New Hampshire's a great place. It's like my favorite place on earth. And they were like really accepting and. Know, no racism, nothing like that. Yeah, it's a good place to grow up. So, are you saying that you w- represented all the races in your area? <laughs> they, so, like, depending yeah. on what it was. Yeah. Uh, well, let's ask them. They might, they might know something. They're not like us. So, yeah, yeah, you have to you you have to answer all the questions of everybody's uh, curiosity. Like, so, what do you guys? What is it like? Uh, what's uh, how's it different over there? <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna base it on I don't know your exact age, but I guess you grew up in the 90s. No, I grew up in the 80s. You grew up in the 80s. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
So what was it like? What's it? What's it? What, what is it like growing up in the East Coast in, in the in the eighty? Was it late mid mid eighties? Like early? What, how long? Well, I'm, I'm forty one. Okay. So so I grew up. Uh, you know, it was classic Wonder Years. Like where it I was. Grew up. Yeah, it was awesome. You know, just living that living the dream, New Hampshire. Just just TV and and music and just it was a great period. I mean, eighties was just you know rock 80s and roll. Was, and, yeah. And did you what? live in like a like a neighborhood where all, like other kids your age like that kind of thing? You could hop on a bike kind of thing, or was it not that Wonder Years? Yeah, dude. It was like uh, what Stranger Things. Yeah. It was, it was just like that. Like so, you know, bike rides, hanging out with kids, monsters, baseball, basketball, that stuff. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> just like Stranger Things, man. <laughs> monsters, yeah, upside yeah, down. Just, we saved got, the world. My friend got kidnapped. He got lived right. in a stick hut. Uh, it was like <laughs> it was like it clown. In the, in the sewers. <laughs> it was just, it's right, just, so it just like it. We had a clown living in the sewers. He bit children. It was crazy. <laughs> so you had all your, you know, your typical growing up, just yeah, random. Yeah, exactly. But that's cool. I think, I think we were like the last of the ride your bike around unsupervised. Wait for somebody to yell from a porch, like get back here for dinner. It doesn't oh. feel that way now. I, I, we were talking earlier. I have kids. I don't. I, we don't have. There's no neighborhood dynamic. There's no. Everybody runs out and hangs out with their friends because it doesn't exist. Mm. And even where my family still lives back in Wisconsin, it doesn't have that vibe. And I think it's because everybody is now. No one's having kids at the same time anymore. Sure. I think we came from a time where everyone Ooh, was like, good point. "Oh wait, um, we're supposed to be having kids right now." And then there's a better chance that your neighborhood's going to be filled with kids your age. Yep. To where now, I mean, you're, some people are, you know, 90, like Tony Randall having kids and, <laughs> some, and Tony, teenagers. Tony <laughs> Randall. There's the Tony Randalls, and then there's babies having babies. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> that's really funny. Tony. How long did you, so did you bail immediately at 18, or what was your uh, no, little mini well, life story? What was your well, exit strategy? <laughs> <laughs> did you did you write your exit strategy down in Cran? <laughs> uh, I went to boarding school at 14, so I left home around 14. Well, really? Uh-huh. Were you a troubled kid, no. or was that just the belief system of your family that you just, needed to go just my, away? Uh, you know, my parents were like, you guys, we want... I mean, my, my dad's a doctor. They were like, they, I had a really privileged childhood, and they sent me to a, a good boarding school. But see, I don't yeah. see mm-hmm. that as good. I see that as being sent away and living on your own. So just out of curiosity, having experienced it, now, when you look back on it, do you, do you, what do you think of the fact of going somewhere else all the time versus actually having just grown up in your house and gone to school down the street? It was it was great because uh, you know I wasn't like a happy kid just in general, and so I feel like going to boarding school made me just when I went to college I started doing stand up, so I was already living away from home. So when I went to college, it was like boom! I didn't give a shit about you know college friends. I just went right into the city. Like my friends were guys like 10 years older than me, comedians. So that boarding school experience gave me the independence when I went to college and like, you know, being in a city, Boston, New York, and just kind of take chances and risks. So I owe a lot to boarding school. I really think it's a great experience. What, so do you, why do you, why do you say you weren't happy? Just as a kid, uh, I always, you know, I just felt like I wasn't, a, I, I never felt like I fit in as a kid. You know, I was, I've always been introspective, like I love to write, and like that's always been my, my kind of expression. But I've always felt this this kind of lingering malaise through my child, which I can just do, trace back to being a kid. Do you, but do you think it's just race related? Do you think it's like being so different from other kids, or do you think uh, that's just like you? No matter what, it was kind of already that unhappiness was inside you. No, I think I think that that discontent has always just been there. Yeah, um, which is something which 
A I, lot of kids go yeah, through. I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's you're necessarily like yeah, a playing, rare thing, thing. right? I was just curious. Me, just who I am as a. As oh, well, a if you're not, then can you leave? Because it's way more interesting. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> we got a woe is me yeah. <laughs> a whole hour of that. Um, yeah. Okay. I was. Yeah. I was curious because I. I, I feel like as when I was younger, I was. I, I went through a real long phase of unhappiness and anger, and I don't know why. I'm like, still going through it, John. I, I just want to throw that out there. I, okay. No, I don't. I think. I think. But but only recently has it sort of ended. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like in my thirties, probably. You know, but like men don't grow up until their forties anyway. That's, that's been, always been the way honestly. That's probably one of the more true like. Except for the no guys ba- at the football game that they haven't grown up yet, but continue. But dude, yeah, those guys will figure it out eventually, hopefully, oh, or no. or or they'll kill each other I'm off. I'm gonna go with no, but okay. Yeah. But John, how could you know like what's wrong with you as a kid? You don't have those tool sets. No, really you don't. Yourself. Yeah, yeah, and you're just like I'm sad or I'm upset or I'm angry. Yeah, and good luck asking your friends to help you out with that. <laughs> right. When I can only imagine how great Suck that it up, deep pussy. conversation. Like, yeah, exactly. yeah it's like, the classic goes to. That's right. a, that was always my favorite when I used to break up. When you when you have a go through a breakup and your friends are like um so like their 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 best advice is yeah fuck her dude like you're great all right that's a wrap thanks everybody yeah thanks dude, for hearing that's me why out. that line in wedding singer is the funniest ever he goes ah oh, fuck her she was a bitch she's like don't say shit like that we're gonna get to, we're gonna get back together and then shit's gonna be awkward between you two happens a lot <laughs> that's happens happened a lot that, that happens a lot it's like oh man fuck her and then, hey we're back together no it just seems okay okay good good yeah all right. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, that it, it it's and also I just feel like there there is a time period where you just as a kid you're just like I think for me it wasn't like seeing like everything was pointless, but like seeing the real like okay what are we doing here like what is the meaning of this if I do this what does it equal it equals nothing I don't get anything from this like you know there was I would just see I would just I I felt like I saw things a little different and therefore. Uh, would just I don't know I use that to be okay with being angry and upset I don't know I don't know but but that's really where the love of comedy came because I really found a source of happiness through comedy when I was a kid like that's you know who without did, knowing anything about the business I just gravitated naturally what was comedy. it who did you where love did you, yeah where how did you how did you find it what, what what where did it come from well you know what I loved as a kid I loved Adam Sandler because okay. he's from Manchester okay. so he was like a hero just in New Hampshire Told Booth Willie S- still is a lot of people in New Hampshire just love Sandler just because he's from New Hampshire so seeing Sandler on SNL like back in like 92, 93 I was like oh my god there's a guy from our home state on TV and it was such a big deal in his fucking sweatpants yeah, you're like sweatpants, dude like, there's nothing saying I can't do that <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah when you say so, you said you were fourteen when you went uh, to boarding school. Yep. Okay. You have other uh, uh, brothers and sisters. I got two brothers. Two brothers, older, younger, middle. Both. They're in the middle. They're both. You're the middle one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And everybody uh, went to boarding school. Was that kind of the thing, or was there a choice? No. So we all went. My brother got in to, okay. the, to the school, and then that made it easier for me to get Legacy. in. Legacy. Yeah. Um, and you were so you're saying in the end the the thing you liked about it the most because I'm always, I've always been fascinated. I, again, it's not a Midwestern thing. Usually, the kids that got sent away was because they're troubled parents just didn't want to deal with them anymore that was where i came from so you're saying like it actually helped you grow is a big part of it helping you become independent and growing up did you feel like that made you wiser than if you would have just stayed back home and yeah i mean look to deal with the world i guess is the i'm actually writing a novel about boarding school because at boarding (laughs) school you know there's this system set up but there's an ecosystem Underneath the boarding school, like when the lights like go Harry off, Potter ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just like the boarding school, li- living in the dorms, getting hazed by upperclassmen, so and surviving. Just like there's a whole system there. 
that people don't really see, which is great for kids, just experiencing, you know. The hazing? And you find your, I mean, all, even that stuff, man. But like, yeah, but you're, yeah, but it's not <laughs> like, yeah, you're not talking about hazing where like people died and you're, no, you're, I'm you're, like, no, no, you're no, talking no, about yeah. like friendly fucking hazing. Well, like, I don't know. Well, Let's hear them out. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to paint a bad picture of boarding school, but just that independence about living on your own as a kid makes you kind of find yourself at a quicker, quicker, quicker. Age. Because I, I well, your family's out there to take care of you, right? I mean, you're. But also, the, like, you have your... to make your own rules, like, because because that's what I was like in college. I was like, oh man, I, my first dorm experience was like no parents, like, exactly. I, I'm on my own. But I, this was like you know six years or four years, five years after you went to boarding school, I was having that same kind of deal, and it was like you need to figure out how to adjust your time and how to work and how to get things done. And so many people dropped out of college that first semester or after that first semester because they couldn't maintain a life of having five beers at night, six beers at night, getting up in the morning, going to class, doing... Like, I had already been drinking beers through high school, so I was already like, oh, this is just part of it. And, you know... set the bar. That's great. And But then so many people were like... Dude, I can't. I didn't go to class. I'm like, you got to get up, man. You got to. I mean, I had to go to high school. I had to go to school. But did you immediately lose privacy? Did you have to share room with somebody? Like, was that a big? Is that the? I would assume that's got to be the first biggest transition is starting yeah. to live with strangers. Um, I was in the freshman triple, so I had two roommates. That first two year. roommates. I had two roommates, and yeah, yeah I mean, that's got to be hard to not have any privacy just like re- like uh, overnight, right? Sure. I mean, that's hard. I mean, the academics were pretty rigorous as well. Are they? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, they are, well. that's and, no joke. You know, so like sports, mandatory sports. But that's also where I started to act, you know, drama club, all that stuff. Oh, just okay. Just really getting out of my shell and, and just taking different chances and finding myself. You know, you want to explore as a human being. And, and I think boarding school allowed me to do that. That's awesome. And so when you got out of boarding school, uh, where did you go to school? You went to college, you said. So where did you go to college? Oh, NYU. NYU. Oh, okay. wow. And how far away is it from where you grew up? How, how far away is New York from where you were? Um, it's about six, seven hours. Okay, so it's not close. Okay, these aren't. We're not talking day trips here. No. You're okay. talking Warrenville to Ashland, right there. And why NYU? At that point, you get through high school or boarding school, and you're at that point. Had you been doing so much drama that you wanted to stay in the world of arts? Is that had you made that decision that that's the path you're going at that point? Yeah, I felt like I felt like New York was where comedy was. I felt like that's where the where the you know, I seriously chose NYU because Attell and Sandler went there. Okay. I, that's really how, how, how inspired it was about comedy. And had you done stand-up or any form of comedy previous to before you graduated from boarding school? Yeah, I was in Boston for a little bit, so I got to kind of just mess around there in, in the Boston scene. You know, a place called the Comedy Vault, if you guys do, do comedy is in so, Boston. Under, so were you underage then? No, I was like eighteen. Yeah, but I, so you can, you can be eighteen to perform to yeah. get in. Okay. You, you can perform any age in Boston. Okay. Oh, you can? Yeah. But did you just wander in on your own, or did you have some buddies that would just go with you? Like you're basically your buddies. Like <laughs> I'm not gonna do comedy, but I'll go with you, dude, because it's crazy. No, I was in a su- I was in a summer program for like school, so I would just start doing comedy in uh, in Boston and doing spots around. But around. on your own, you would just find them and go. Yeah, just find them and go. <laughs> Bef- pretty, and this I mean, is before we're talking before the internet. You're talking. You had to look into a, a fucking you know, newspaper or there's like, there's like a newspaper that said like you know all the comments. Yeah, everything that was going on that weekend or whatever. Uh-huh. You're like, okay, here's six open mics. Uh-huh. But I'm fascinated with that only because what you're talking about. It's like if you're very if you were a little bit of an introvert and very introspective, even though you were going through this journey in in boarding school. I mean, that's I mean, I'll never forget the first day when I moved out here, and I, I've talked about it often about sitting in. I was sitting in my car. Going to do uh, just another open mic, and it was my first open mic out here. And I was like in my car, going, "You got get out of the car." 
get out of the car. If you're going to do this, just go do it. Like it's, it's, it's a huge step to go into that world, you know? Yeah. And so I couldn't even imagine being 18 and going, screw it. I'm going to this place with a bunch of strangers. With no, yeah, with no real pals with. I mean, it's, let's be honest, that's, that's ballsy. Like you, you really, you got, you really got to want it. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of, is that what it was? I think with a lot of comedians, not just myself, a lot of comedians have that drive. Like when you want something, you're gonna go after it, and that's how I've always been. Like whenever I want to do something, like I will find a way to do it. But um, and yeah. what was your first experience like, by the way? I ate my dick. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. How how was everybody with you there when you went in culturally, like in that world? Like were they supportive? Did they not give two shits? Totally. Did you feel very wait? Oh, your God. first mic wasn't in Boston, was it? It was in Boston. It was in Boston. It was in Boston. That's what because that's I knew you as a Boston comic. Yeah. Like when I first met you, someone was like, "Oh yeah, he's from Boston." I was like, "Okay." Yeah. So that's where you cut your teeth. Yep. Okay. So that's a rough. That can be a rough city. I heard. No, it was great. You know what? Because yeah. uh, when I was coming up, uh, the guys at the Comedy Vault, which is in Boylston, it was like Dwayne Perkins, Gary Gullman, like super nice. Oh, guys. dude, yeah. those yeah. guys. You're are the, listing off you the nicest named, people. You just yeah. named two of the nicest guys in. in exactly. They were super. They that's were hilarious. Really great. Yeah. And this nice and supportive. So. Boston scene is is top notch without question. If yeah, you do, do comedy like Boston's a great city. You like the Walsh brothers? They were not there when I was. You were gone. You were gone by the time they were. I was gone by the yeah. time they came up. I just think they're super nice guys oh, too. They're awesome. Yeah, this is back in ninety seven, ninety eight. Oh yeah, man, you got you got started early. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's so, really cool, man. So you you eat it. And you say to yourself, I'm assuming I'm going to do this again. I'm going to figure this out. Is that kind of how you also looked at it? Was like, it didn't go according to plan. But you couldn't walk away. Do you away. remember that night? Do you still have vivid memories of like well, of you know working what? through that night? I remember I had this book, which is going to sound so lame. Uh, Jay Leno's Leading With My Chin. which, And I used to read that religiously because I saw how much shit he went through as a comedian. And I was like, well, this is p- part of the process. That's interesting. So you actually, I mean, you know what? I mean, it sounds silly, and John obviously laughed at it, but but the point is, you learned one valuable piece. Is like, I am not alone in this journey. Other people have gone through the same bullshit. Because a lot of people go into it blind, and they're like, they get hammered the first time, and they're like, whoa, what have I gotten myself into? Am I this bad? Like, all the, right? Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was natural to go through all this stuff and to get, you know, beat up. I, I I thought it would stop at a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. And then you watch Jerry Seinfeld's documentary and realize it never stops. It never stops. <laughs> That's really funny. So I knew that was part of it. I fig- I figured it would like end yeah. eventually, but. <laughs> I, yeah. But that's but that does help when you it, it always it helped me when I saw a comedian uh, and you see Seinfeld trying to start over with new material and he gets on stage and he can't remember a punchline and people are like yelling stuff out he's like that's not helping you're not helping me and he can't yeah. remember and I'm like I remember being in the theater watching that movie going oh oh that never goes away like the you the wanting to create new material you got to bring it to the stage you got to keep trying it sometimes you're gonna fuck it up. And and there's always going to be times when you just don't do that well. Sure. There's always going to be those times. By the way, that scene in the cellar, and and, and he's sitting there, and he's like, I already shook your hand. That's me and my roommate from from school. <laughs> Wait, you're I, in it? I, you don't see. I, I, that's, that's, Are you, we don't see you. You don't see, but that's my roommate's hand. When my roommate, I was like, oh, that's Seinfeld. And we like approached him, and he was like, you know, there's like a courtesy. There's like an etiquette with comedians yeah. that he didn't know. So he, he shook Seinfeld's hand. And then he, he was like, all right, bye, Seinfeld. And he went back again. And Seinfeld was like, dude, we already shook hands. Yeah. And he wouldn't shake it again. Dude, that's really <laughs> fucking yeah. funny. Yeah. That's really funny. Wait, <laughs> so you were there that night that that happened? 
I was or, there at the cellar when he was filming uh, with yeah Colin Quinn and shit. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, small world. Dude. There it is. But also, so had you moved to New York at that? Yeah. Point? So I went to NYU and I started working the door at the Boston Comedy Club. Yeah, which is now called East Side, or it's was gone. the yeah. Boston's gone? Yeah. Is that is that the one? And this is me. Is that the one? Barry Barry Katz used to own a comedy club. Exactly. It, that was his comedy That's club it. back then. Mm-hmm. And he was still owned it at that time? He owned it. He was never there. He was never there. But, okay. uh, you know, David J. Nash, who's called DJ Nash, he's a big TV writer now in L.A. He yeah. was like, running the open mics. Ed Helms was running Monday nights there. Wow. Uh, but the lineup was like, you know, Patrice, Kevin Hart, uh, you know, Dane Cook was there, Russ Maneve, Bill Billy Burr at the time. Like, yeah. all those guys were there. Bill, Burt Kreischer was the Burt director. Burt yeah. Before me. So it was a wow. good scene. Wow, 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 wow. All and, those and guys so coming up. How, how long were you in Boston before you ended up? You see, there was just a little small... Yeah, small gap. Like, small gap. Yeah. So, basically, on your way over. Mm-hmm. How, how much time had you done before you got to New York and started doing stand-up? Where, how much... Just a couple it, of months. Couple oh, okay. Of months. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, But New York, again, going back to what John said about, you know, what, what our impression is being either Midwesterners or West Coasters is New York is not any easier to do stand-up in either. I mean, it's, I mean, there's a lot of places to do it, but everybody always out here, which I don't know is true or not, they always describe it as extremely cutthroat and very unhelpful. What is the truth? New York? Yes. New York's a tough scene. It is. I mean, back then, I don't know how it is now, but back then it's, you know, you had you, every club has had its own stable of comedians. You know, the comic strip had like its clean guys, whatever. The cellar had like the guys that were really established. You know, the Boston Comedy Club were just like a degenerate bunch of dudes. Yeah. You know, Stand Up New York, uh, like Eddie Yift and all those guys were up there. So every club, and there were some guys that kind of bounced between, you know, the guys who the were fortunate kind of, ones. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they were really established. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, like, yeah. Like the Billy Burrs and the, yeah. Steve Burns. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Was Ian Bag out there at that time? I don't remember seeing Ian okay. Bag. I, I will say, like, I, I've heard, I've heard <laughs> the, the New York scene is tough if you live in it. If you're an L.A. comic and you go visit New York, they are nice as shit to you. I get stage time. I get treated really nice. And then everyone's super happy to see me. But, like, from the people I've talked to that have been like, yeah, that's how it was when I visited, too. And then I moved there. And they were like, get the fuck out of the way. So which version of Crashing is real? Like that TV show that he it was at? Crashing is far from even close to being anything that's legitimately real. Yeah, I, I only saw one episode, and I couldn't watch it because it was too painful because I was on that street. for. I did that exact same job for so many years. Oh, but he did it for one day and then opened for Sarah Silverman, and <laughs> yeah, then it was an audience warm-up, and then show, was but... fucking driving Artie Lang around, and then was in a Judd Apatow movie. I mean, that was... Because uh, nobody <laughs> wants to watch the other shittier under, version. I understand. I understand. You're but like, like, I'm just saying, it's like, you, the, the, yep, yeah, he's a, it's a story. He's trying to tell a story. Yeah. I get that. I know, but I feel like I'm arguing with my wife right now. Well, no, but... I tell great but, stories at dinner, and my wife goes, well, that's not really what happened. I'm like, what really happened Happen is not the interesting story at this dinner table right now. I don't need to be fact checked. Well, my point is, well, my but you po- did that the the the, the flyer thing though. That looks barking. Just miserable. Ugh, barking just does not look. I don't. That's one thing I don't like doing is interacting with the general population. I didn't much. know that's how it worked in New York. And somebody told me they were doing that here. They're like, I, I was out on Melrose passing out flyers all day. I go, well, that's why no one's here, dude. They think you're a fucking weirdo. Well, when we did it, because I went from there to a club in. Times Square. It was so new. Like me, Adam Hunter. Wow. Uh, it's going to be Melissa Roush, Big Bang Theory. She was on it. It's kind of David Rubin, who's a big conservative guy now. So when we were doing it, was so new. We were packing in the clubs. Like we would pack out these clubs every night before barking really became a thing. Yeah. So. Because you guys would be out on the street getting people in. Yeah. We, oh, wait. So you were pre-barking. So you were just doing it to do it, to just hustle and. 
Well, no, to get stage time. Yeah. But in time. So that was part of the deal. Yeah. We went to this club, club called club called Gladys's where Jim Gaffigan and those guys started up and uh, we working for Gladys, this hamburger joint in Times Square. And they'd be like, oh, pass all these flyers, get stage time. And we just packed those clubs in. You know? But is it, are the, the flyers are not specifically related to you or they are related to you? So when somebody brings in a, or they just say, just pass out flyers, I don't care. Or are they actually assigned to you so they know if you're doing your gig or not? Back then, they didn't really give a shit. They were like, oh, here's some flyers, go just, pass them. Yeah, it was yeah, like, just advertising loose. the club. Okay. Yep. And, but you knew if you were bringing in people or not. Like, you knew who the good guys were. Like, Adam Hunter's a genius passing up flyers. And, they, you know, those those barking days made you hustle. Yeah. Like, you really. I was going to say, Adam Hunter is a real hardworking hustler type dude. Like, always trying to get people into a show, run a show, do a show, have a show. Like, yeah. I've, I've, that's like, since I've known him, that's been always kind of his, his thing. But you can trace that back to when he was 20, 20 years old. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how he literally got his stage time. Yeah, I guess maybe I skipped that because I didn't get into comedy until I was almost 30. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's the good and the bad of it. I I had to fuck up a lot in my life before I had anything interesting to say, I think, was is really what it boiled down to. That's fair. I mean, it is fair. I well, think you, you say that, but that's in your head you think that. You know what I mean? Like I had also tried. I was I was going down a completely different path in my life, and then I, find, I was like, I always had the longing, but it's just like I didn't have What path time. was that, Brian? Huh? What path was that? Radio. Radio. Radio, 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 and band management. Yeah. You know, fun stuff. I, I like music and radio. Um... But yeah, so you're out there, you're doing the barking, and you're and you're working the scene. You go to NYU. What were you go? What were you doing at NYU then? What was your major? The film and focus? TV. Okay. So you knew, like, besides stand up, you had a love of entertainment. I did, but I just kind of picked that major because I felt like it was, you know, something to do. Was it a general thing, or were you actually doing creating stuff and shooting stuff? No, they and... made you. I mean, I was in the film program. They made you shoot, you know, films and shorts, which I never thought. I relied on that so heavily later in my career, like how to put together films, how to produce things. I did it at the time just to kind of get through school, but it's something which I pull back later. Yeah. It's, my, well, especially now, how the world has changed so yeah. drastically since then where you kind of have to become your own one-person machine, right? Mm-hmm. So thank goodness you did that now, right? When you're looking back on no, it. Really appreciative. I wouldn't suggest going to film school to learn that stuff, but it did help me. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean you can. I mean you can if you if you, you really can want be self taught. Now that's the well, thing. Go go be a PA and look at what they do, and then take what you're learning while you're on set and do some of that stuff on the side on your own. Absolutely, you don't need. You don't necessarily need. To. We're not sponsored by any film schools. So you're right. Fuck that shit. Right. <laughs> right, everybody. Well, no, but I mean, I, I see the point. The point now is that you know maybe back in the day you needed to have access to all that gear and equipment to learn on it, but now what the gear and the equi- equipment. I mean, the gear is, is uh, your computer and literally your, your fucking phone and your computer. Like this kid, I, I watched a kid shoot a a scene on his new iPhone the other day and then show it to me and we compared it to the cameras that we're shooting in 4K and it's fucking, it's better. Yeah, well, it's it, in it, 4K, it, that's why. Yeah, it's insane, dude. Like, the, there's no excuse now to not be making your own stuff. You know, not the name drop, but I will. Uh, Andy, <laughs> Andy Sandberg was in my classes at NYU. That's what I was going to ask you yep. if you went to school with anybody. Yeah, he, okay. he, he was in a bunch of my classes and I I knew him back in the day when I, when I auditioned for like punk and stuff. 
But I heard he came out here, started shooting stuff immediately. Yeah. And with his friends. Lonely Island. Mm-hmm. Immediate. Uh, and he was in the 101 LA thing where you put. Channel 101. So yeah. he utilized his filmmaking background to kind of get a leg up and just kind of go forward. And I think that's what got him, you know, I've, so I've heard. He, those digital shorts are like, were the, essentially the Eddie Murphy of the new SNL era. Like, yep. those digital shorts, Dick in a Box, fucking Lazy Sunday, those things that they did helped keep the show on the air. Yeah. You know, like how Eddie Murphy did back in the day. It was like Lonely Island, Jorma, Andy, and like, I can't yeah, remember the third that, guy. Uh, whatever. Yeah. God damn it. I'm, I'm, I, he's also equally important. But those guys would write. I would see them at Jerry's Deli working on Friday nights. I'm like, what the fuck are you losers doing? They're like, writing sketches. I'm like, you fucking fruitcakes. Yeah. And I would laugh at them. Yep. I would laugh at them. <laughs> but that production, dude, I mean, no dude. joke. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. So, yeah. So I'm glad you went to film school and now you can utilize that. I mean, look, you've made at least one feature film that I know about pretty much on your own. By the way, hearing John talk about all this stuff, he's so talented. Hearing, I remember that Capital One commercial too. Like, I, it blows my mind to this day when I talk to like, my director, who I made Bobby Khan with. How is John Huck not, you know, an A-list <laughs> actor? Seriously, like, you were so talented, man. Dude, this I read that. It's a very tricky business we're yeah. in. Yeah, that, that's, that's very kind of you. And, and I'll never say that, but. No, no, and I appreciate that too. Um, <laughs> I don't. I want him to no, keep fighting. Honestly, for it. Brian's been one of those guys that, like, even like back in the day when I was still sort of a miserable turd, and I was like, "Why the fuck is nothing going my way in this business?" You know, and he was, I was like, "Dude, it's it's a numbers game. You got to hang on. You can do it. You're good. It's not like you're a shitty actor or a terrible comedian." And like, I've had support from like my immediate friend group, and then like, you know, I, I consider you a buddy. I've known you for a really long time now, and I went in and read for that movie. I went in and read for Bobby Khan because you were like, "Hey." I thought of you for this part. You know, Henry Phillips gave me a role in Punching the Clown or and Punching the Clown because he had worked with me already and knew that. Like, people who, who like me and have worked with me tend to agree that I'm worth putting in stuff. It's just to get my foot in the door. It's just a matter of being the flavor of the month. You know, I never really had that. And then I'm also not a guy that hangs out, especially anymore. But even when I was back in the day, it was like no one, after two in the morning, no one wanted to see me anymore. I think ultimate success, though, is a, a series of things do need to click. Opportunity needs to click. Right place, right time. Some character you may do or some movie that you may make or some screenplay that you may write, it just clicks with society in that moment and then and you're in. And then people and say shit like, he's an overnight sensation. Yeah. And you're like, dude, I've been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, and it's and you, and you try not to get bitter about that stuff. Right, you try not right. to get upset about the people that, you know, when, when you're young, you get mad because you think people are getting opportunities they don't deserve. And that's just clouding your journey. It's just clouding what you want out of this. Because ultimately, um, what I've always said to people, succeed or fail, it has to be your journey. You cannot worry about people like when you do stage time. Who cares what who went on before you, and who cares what went on, who goes on after you? That's your that's your real estate. Do with it what you may. Get what you want out of it. Yeah. Don't blame people before, after, or around you. Just do your thing. And that, you know what? That's what it I wish. It still may I... not pay off. It may not, and you have to accept that at some point, but or never accept it. No, I go back to look. Uh, look, I I the did, meth problem. I finally got to do. A, a project that that my death co was something that I feel like I'm I'm really proud of how that turned out. I think it's great. It's something I I, I push on people. I show them if I can, um, and I I will always go back to what Brian Swinehart said at the 
uh, screening, he came up to me afterwards. He was like, hey, man, what do you think is going to happen? I go, look, man, I don't know. They're going to try to sell it. They want to make it a TV show. I think it has a shit ton of potential. Like one of the first things I've done in a long time, I'm like, literally, this should be a thing. Even if I'm not the main guy, it should be a thing that everyone gets to see. And uh, he goes, he said, well, I mean... Worst case scenario, dude, nothing happens with it, and you made a kick-ass piece of art. And I'm like, you know what? That is literally all you can do, is try to do something that you enjoy, work towards it may being a project that you find funny or good or worthwhile or interesting, get as many of your friends involved as you can. That That's it. That's all there is. Uh, the rest of it, if it happens, it happens. I always look at Rodney Dangerfield going back into stand-up at age 45, or like John Hamm, waiting tables at Hamburger Hamlet and then getting the call that he got Mad Men when he was fucking, you know, 43 or whatever. So it's like, there's no, there's just no, there's no right or wrong no way reason. to do it about it. There, there is sometimes, yeah. there's no reason. So give up. But also, up. no, I think you have to love it. If you're not loving Hollywood's it, get full. out. You guys, Hollywood's full. We gotta go. <clears> no, throat> you're right, you're right. You, you gotta it, stay in the game. You, if, it, only if, if you, you like want it. To, yes. Only if you're having fun. <laughs> yes. Like, Every once in a while, you do something. You're like, "Man, this is. Am I, do I have to do this to keep going?" Yeah. Sometimes you got to take a gig that's a little bit fucking not your speed that you have to take to keep going. But it keeps you involved. It keeps you motivated to know what you don't. My mom always said that whenever I had a shitty job, I was like, "Fuck this job." She go, "Well, now you know what you don't want to do for the rest of your life." And it's like, "Yeah." And if the rest of my life is struggling to write jokes and make funny sketches and shit, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? That's That'll be the rest of my life. And the few people you do reach, and I guarantee you've had this, especially because you had that web series that was super popular. Like, there aren't a lot of Indian people, or at least back in the day, there weren't a lot of Indian people in front of cameras where you could see them on TV or in a fucking right. web series right. or whatever. It's It was just, now you've got thousands upon thousands of people who've watched your web series, who follow your career, who are like, Oh, look at this guy. He's doing it. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't given up. Because you haven't. You literally, if you're not doing one thing, you're always trying to do something else. I've never talked to you and you're like, well, I've been laying down for six months and then I'm not, you know, you're not a guy like, I'm going to take a sabbatical. Like, no. You're like, first off, anybody that would ever say to you, well, I've been laying down for six <laughs> you months. You know what I mean, though. You they, know need, what I mean. They, they need help. Um, but some people will bullshit you like, oh, I've been writing. And you're like, okay, that's, ter that's terminology for not doing anything. Well, like, but this is all I do, John. I mean, if I don't. If I don't move, I'll die. I have no way of making money. Right. But you're in if good you're shape. Not doing I can tell you're in good shape. You're in better shape than both of us. So you got that going for oh, you. So you. clearly you move a lot. Oh, like his physical lot. shape. I yeah, see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Appreciate yeah, we're that. gonna get to the other, the mental shape and the other shapes in a sec here. So uh, after NYU, um, you. Uh, Decide New York is not your thing. Like, how did you end up out here? Because like, you were saying initially New York was where you wanted to be. Like, that's <laughs> yes. your childhood dream was in New York. So I did about six years, six, seven years in New York. You did? Okay, well, that's actually a pretty long time, Between right? That's 30 then... years anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was definitely hard. It was hard. And then, uh, again, good friend Adam Hunter, he was out here. He was like, come out with me. You know, so he was here for a year. Then I, I bounced out here. When, and what year? Was, uh, that was like 2005. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, uh, oh, so you guys just came out here and started running Bruco he, immediately. He was here a year before I was. Okay. And then uh, he had a manager that I got hooked up with, and uh, we started running Bruco around 2005, 2006. It seems like so much, l like, it seems longer ago than that. Do you know what I mean? Dude. But, well, like, but out here, yeah, one year seems like five years. But I saw some great comics roll through Westwood, uh, and, dude, oh, I had a lot of fun on those stages, like... 
They're just both those rooms sometimes would be going off, and you'd be like, Ooh, this is really a good time. Yeah, Brian, I wish you could have been a part of it. It was an amazing experience. Uh, Westwood Brewing Company. But you did you did I used to I used to run comedy shows. I used to run a bunch of open mics, and I eventually ran the belly room at the comedy store and stuff like that. But at, I was always kind of one foot in, kind of didn't. I I was like begrudgingly running it. How did you feel about running shows? Did you? Well, Adam was the main guy. I was kind of the guy, just kind of ran things when he wasn't there. But it was. Awesome. But you still got to deal with all those people when you run it. Yeah, but that that room was so self sufficient, like filling up the the room and the people that were so cool. Like John was there, you know Theo Vaughn, all these guys, comedian wise. Just everyone was very chill, relaxed. Nobody was like bugging us for stage okay. time, and you know, it, and that show ran so long. It wasn't like we had to like just get everybody in with between an hour. We had like three four hours okay. to fill. So people would come in and out, but yeah. like I, mean, I remember once like watching a whole audience walk out after a comic and be like, oh well, fuck, and then like literally. A new group of people came in, and I was like, "Shit, oh man!" <laughs> yeah, it was there, fun. There was weren't fun. a lot of people I could go on and do another set. Like, <laughs> it, it was a fun, fun room. When did you stop doing that? Uh, we stopped. Well, we gave the room up to somebody else. Oh, okay. Around like, uh, and then it failed from there. Yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Okay, so you did it for a couple years. Yeah. Is that the last time you ran rooms? Yes. Okay. I haven't done it since. Which you know, again, if you don't have to. I mean, it can be fun. I mean, I, there were there were times I enjoyed. Look, you get to you get to meet everybody, right? That's the one thing I will say about running the, rooms. Yeah, the connections. The Almost everybody networking. comes through, and you do get to know what the scene is and who's in the scene, and and everybody. That part of it I, I like because it does it defines your community, like what you define as your stand up community. Like you were talking about Boston or, or or when you were in New York, like you have you remember the people that were part of that scene at that time. That was your community, right? So. Sure. But, I, you know, let me add that when you get comfortable having stage time, it, you have to kind of do the road. You have to be pushing outward outside your comfort zones. And having a steady room every week can sometimes be a detriment because you get so used to. For me, I was getting up at the Bruco Comedy Store. And I was like, all right, I got these spots during the week. I don't need to develop a headlining act on the road. I don't need to go to other clubs. And now I'm realizing uh, that was a mistake. But that's okay because, you know, that's where I was at that moment in my life, sure. and just kind of live through it. So, did, did you have a? Th I, I know a lot of people have this theory, but it, you know, the road is different than performing here, and and I totally understand that. But did, was it because of the type of material that you believed that you were developing that was holding you back that you didn't know what the rest of a, of of America would be like? That that would be the only driving force, I think, to go on the road is that if you want to know what people are thinking in other towns that are not L.A. Right. And whether or not you can translate or you can grow a, a, a broader approach as a comedian, some people have no interest in doing that. They have their very specific, like so. What what are you all about? I guess that would that would made you have gotten to that as far as well, a, com a comedian. Well, back then I was also in like a like a web series that was doing really well. I wanted to make a movie, so my mindset was this is good enough for stand up, and I'm gonna make other shit that's gonna complement my stand-up, you know, which was TV production, filmmaking. Yeah. Okay. So that's where my mindset was, so I didn't feel the need to go do the road where I was like, oh, i got to develop a headlining set. I've got to get into NACA's, you know, college uh, show showcases. I could just do this, and other things would kind of snowball. Okay. What was the web series? Uh, I was called Day C.O.C. It was okay. a uh, South Asian web series. It was kind of like Melrose Place for, like, Indians. We put, like, a bunch of, like, hot Indians. And... We were so new, it got millions of views on YouTube. And this is about, this. how long ago was this? This was uh, 2006. 2006. And that went, like, multiple seasons, though, right? Yeah, we, we did 
four years of that. Wow. And so so here's my question because I you know I I I. I was an independent producer. I went out and bought the three chip cameras, spent the money on that kind of stuff. The world was a little bit different back then. So how did you produce that stuff? Like what was, t- can you take us through that process of, because everybody's got great ideas. But also, but yeah, whose execution? idea was that show? Like, because I thought, I thought you and Atif, Atif, yep. Atif wrote it. So we, I was on a Bollywood show. I came out here as a host. I was on, that was my first job. I was a TV host. And he was the director of this Bollywood show. We this like, is real or this is the concept? No, this was on 2005. This was like my real job. This is your real life. Okay. Real right, did right, you okay. go to India to shoot? No, we shot here, but it was like a, it was a widely watched show yeah. in California. So this is might be where a lot of the people from Desio's, the viewers came from, or um, no? Not really, because no. we were so clamped down what we could air, but we knew how to make stuff from the show. Because yeah. I, I had like a sketch show on the, on the, on the program. Oh, you so did. Every, so you're kind of learning that every whole. Every week, me and Atif would put out these sketches that were really popular that Indians would like love, and we were like, "Well, let's try to make a web series without even thinking about views, numbers, all that sure. stuff." We were like, "Let's just make something again, like what you that said that you like, that he likes, that you're both enjoying." Yep, and we put it out there, and it was like we got like a hundred thousand in two days, and we're like, "What the hell is this stuff?" How? Uh, but again, let's do it, and then there's actually doing it. That process was that the. Of course, you went to NYU Film School, so you knew that there was a process. But I was really blessed because I didn't know about making guerrilla filmmaking. Atif did. You know, oh, I, so okay. I, I was incredibly blessed to have him as a partner. So how did you make it? When you say guerrilla filmmaking, like how? Like, like he was like, hey, let's get a camera. Let's put lapels on you. No sound guy. No lighting guys. Oh, let's okay. shoot outdoors. He was very systematic how we shot. Okay. And he was the reason why it looks so good because he's just a natural. Okay. Filmmaker, he had the eye. Uh, he had the yeah. Okay. Exactly. That's so we, awesome. Mm-hmm. And that so, that kind of blew up, and we just did that for a few years. Did you actually make money when you say it blew up? It, you were. It's, I was trying to remember what YouTube was back then. I know there was partnerships, is what they called them back then. Were you guys doing that kind of stuff? Were you actually seeing a return on it, or were you just doing it because you just it was popular and and you it was eyeballs? There was no partnerships back then, but the, we did get sponsorship, outside sponsorship you from did. Uh, like this. Well, arranged marriage dating thing. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. that's hilarious! <laughs> it wasn't a lot of money, but I mean, the the thing is, we had to take it off YouTube, put it on a separate site because YouTube was so strict uh, strict about having outside ads on YouTube. Oh, so we actually had to kind of almost kill it by putting it on another site. That's a little dangerous, actually. It was, it was, but we were like, you know what, fuck it, let's make a movie anyways. We were kind oh, of over okay, it, so okay. we were like, let's just take our fans and bring them to the movie. So, so we were trying to think ahead, how can we just keep advancing? forward and this is the movie that you were talking about earlier is that you yeah that well into a film my question is because i never saw the, i never watched the web series i just i knew about it you would post it it was on the internet i was like oh fuck these guys are really making a, a tv show basically and then the bobby khan character does does he come from bobby khan came from the indian show we were on okay so I did a sketch on on the indian show that did really well and we were like, oh, this is hilarious. Let's make a movie about this without thinking about anything. Yeah. And so I kind of forced Atif, like to kind of go along with me. And I wrote this. We, we wrote this script and made the movie. And, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. Still gr- guerrilla filmmaking on that, too, or no? Yeah. We shot, we shot that over weekends for about two years, two and a half oh, years. Oh, really? Yep. We had not a lot of money. I think I put like 10000 of my own money to pay Oof. you guys, like SAG stuff. But yeah. We didn't have any money. Weekends over two years, yeah. Dude, but also shot at Westwood Bruco, for I'm guessing had a pretty good deal there. 
They didn't charge us. There you go. So there's the deal. Yeah. yeah. So you know what I mean? Like that those kind of relationships that you made through the course of doing stand up and being out and about and working in production and then it's like, hey, by the way, we're doing something. We got no fucking budget. Can you help us? Yes. I mean that's the lesson here. You gotta leverage everything you have to actually <laughs> yeah. get things going. Yeah. Relationships, locations, yeah, you know, production, whatever you have, pull it because you're only gonna get one shot. Yeah, and I will add a little uh, caveat to that. You will lose a few along the way, but that's just a part of. It, it goes with the territory, yeah. You know, you and, and it, it's not not because you may do anything wrong, but some people just are like, "Yeah, I'm out, man." Yeah, they just and so and you know, so be it. It's 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 part of our life journey. But you were saying earlier that you were driven by stand up, and then by the time you got out here, it sounds like you've been also been getting more heavily into you know, like it or not, independently producing stuff. Was that was that a, a conscious change, or was that just I'm gonna do whatever I got to do to keep myself relevant, or was that once you went to NYU, were like I just, this is just gonna be part of my world from here on out? Well, honestly, like I I never felt like I was a strong stand up. Just I was like a good feature, you okay. know. But like I was good at producing. I knew I was good at this. Like whatever I did on the show, even when I was producing segments, I could magically make it happen. And I was like, well, I'm good at this. I'm a good actor. Let me just put everything that I'm good at together and okay. make a movie. No matter how hard it was, I was just dead set on making this movie. So, did it pay off the way you were hoping it would pay off for you? Yeah, in the look, end? look, it's a great movie. Did it pay off? You know, financially? <laughs> financially, no, of course not. I mean, it's not a huge thing. I get emails to this day about the movie, about people discovering it. Like, oh, wow, this is a great movie. I'm like, yeah, because we never had the the marketing behind us to really get yeah. it out there. Yeah, but. Is it a great movie? Yeah, I'm really happy with it, you know, how it came out. And I owe John and every every comedian stepped up for me from, you know, Theo yeah. Vaughn, Russell Peters. Anybody you asked was in it. it yep. would, I mean, agreed to be in it, I'm sure. You know, I had a great time shooting it. I mean, it was a fun character to do. It was like a, a dual thing for me. It was like I was a child actor turned acting coach. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was it was a fun, <clears throat> Not. I mean, I got to, they let me be a fucking lunatic, so I had a good time. And what was the movie about? It was about a... Uh, a, a Bollywood star who comes to the U.S. and uh, he, he tries to make it in a Hollywood. naive, a very naive yeah. Bollywood star. Yeah, and so his 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 mentor Andy, who's the acting class, he kind of takes him through it, and it turns out like he gets involved in this drug smuggling ring and <laughs> gets, everything that <laughs> goes to shit for this guy. Yeah, but it is. I mean, but that's it's a, it's a, it's very and there's like a there's a kind of a like a nod to Bollywood scene in there where you guys do like a full on yep. dance number. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, looked like the most complicated part of the movie. No, it was. It was not easy to shoot. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it was really. I mean, I was, I was, I was early on for me, I guess, with doing like longer, bigger roles, and I was not super pumped about my performance. Like, I got nervous about how I might not have been very good in it. And I, after the screening, I that's when I drove to Marina Del Rey and made the director of Garbage show me a cut. Of the movie because oh, really? I'd done the whole movie and then I was so like, his phone? I was like, oh my god, if I if what if you I you were great in the movie though, man. I everyone mean, was like, dude, what are you talking about? You were awesome. And I was like, okay, I just whatever it was about the way I saw it, I was like, oh man, I could have done better. There were than certain this. comedians in that movie where we were like, oh my god, is he gonna like show up, like say his lines properly, memorize? Yeah, John was never that guy. He was always a guy we could always rely on, give us funny different uh, takes. Oh, good, 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 good. Because I also the movie now, can we see it? Yeah, does it but, exist? Yep. I mean, you can pay for it on uh, on Amazon, but there's a free thing on YouTube, which you just just YouTube Bobby Khan's Take It to Hollywood. You can find a free link. Don't pay for it, obviously. 
Well, I mean, like, I mean, you don't have to. I mean, but I'm t- I'm, I would love people to just see it. Yeah. Okay. You know, a lot of people put a lot of work into it, especially you and Atif. I mean, that was, you guys were the two dudes that, I mean, you wrote it together. Yeah. He ran camera, basically. Like, it was. It was a great experience, man. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't, I, if I were to do it all over again, I would do it exactly the same. And this is, how, how far, how long ago was this? When this. You this get, was done in, with it? Uh, two, we had the screening in 2012. 2012, okay. Made it in 2010, 2011. Yeah, 2000, yeah. yeah 10 to 12. That's yeah. that's the other thing you got to always remind people, especially when you want to make stuff, and if you're making film, it is a process, and it is years in the making. Yeah, if so, you're doing it on your own, man, yeah. there's no, like, holy shit, do you know how hard that is? <laughs> like, but it's okay if, you, if you're enjoying it. If, yeah. you, if you, every day you wake up and you're like, I hate this, you probably shouldn't be doing it. If you're like, I can't wait for this to be done. I'm still excited. Yeah, this is going to take a while. Also, but I can't wait to see the final product. Then keep doing it. There are also going to be days when you wake up and you go, I fucking hate this. But then you have to realize that that's just a mood you're in. And that's just, you know, you've looked at something so many times or like, like when you hear your own jokes so many times, you're like, oh, these fucking suck. Well, Seinfeld has a great quote. He's, he says, pick your poison, meaning everything's going to be hard. Everything's going to be challenging. Yeah. But you got to pick what it is that you can most tolerate. And you love to do. That's going to get you through the hard moments. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, when you so when it was done, were you at that? Okay, uh, now what? No, I went through like severe depression. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard, right? Because you put so much time and energy into a project. Um, is that what it is? Is like your existence becomes this movie. So then, when it's done, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. No, but I I would compare it to this, and I would be curious to see how you would see it if you've ever had. The world's greatest set. That high on the stage where it's like rock star stand-up. doesn't matter what you say, what you do. You are in sync with that audience. They are the greatest audience you've ever had. And then you get off stage, and what do you... And now what? Like, there's no carryover to that. They're, you're done. They're done with you. Not in a negative way. But that world is now done, and it's this weird like that's where, wow, that's where a lot of down. substance abuse uh, takes over. But that's why I was asking about that. It's like you put all this time and energy and focus and years in, and now it's done, and it just goes over there, right? Like yep. in, you're absolutely correct. I was I went through this severe depression where I tried to actually piece out of the business. I mean, I think John knows where I, I got like a full time job. And I was, uh, I tried to just quit everything. I was like so depressed. I was like popping Ritalin. I was doing everything because I was just so down because you spend so much time putting, and I'd see my stand-up comedy friends like working. And I was like, man, I put all this time in this movie and I'm still struggling and I'm broke now because I put, you know. All your money is gone. Yeah. I'm not working a job. I'm in my 30s. Just, you know, it's like anything. Again, not what was me, but that's life. You go through hardships. And you understand who you are as a person. And that, ju- that movie was a great learning instrument for me, you know, to figure out who I am. How long did you struggle with that? What did you do? What was it that got you back around? <laughs> uh, this is, so I'm not so, suicidal. I don't mean no, 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 no. But, but uh, so I, I, I called my friend, uh, Luck Rana, who's in the movie. You know, my guy Luck. Uh, he was. The oh, guy. yeah, the good looking dude? Good looking. So he's from DCOC. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's DCOC. like, the, he was like the, the, the rival handsome hunk dude. Yeah. Right. So as a comedian, you're always, you're always joking around. And I was like, dude, I, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. This is ridiculous. I got no money. I got no career. Da, da, da. And he's such a bitter asshole. He goes, dude, people who are going to kill themselves never actually go through with it. And I was like, that's fucking bullshit. I can do this. <laughs> so, so I drive to like, uh, 
uh, suicide bridge in Pasadena, and I get there like 3 a.m., like middle of the week, and I call him up. I'm like, dude, I'm here. But I'm thinking, like, man, this is insane. Like, I can't believe people even like scale these gates here and like jump off. And I was like, I got to change my life. I was like, I got to do something just to like, you know, again, I mean. But why did you drive there? I just want to see, again, you tell me I can't do it. I'm going to fucking prove you wrong. So you were actually testing yourself. I was like, can I drive to this bridge at 3 a.m.? You know, just I wasn't going to kill myself. I was not. But I wanted to see if I can actually get there. So I drive there and I had this surreal moment. I was like, man, also being Indian does not help because that pressure to succeed compounds everything for me. So I was there, and I was like, I got to change my life. And I hadn't really been working a job, so I made up a fake resume. And I started temping at an agency, like, the next week uh, just as an assistant. And I started this course of being an assistant at agencies and learning the business side of entertainment. Because I was like, if I go through this shit again, I'm going to fucking damn well know the business side of entertainment. What so they I, think, how they you think, know, how what, they the, think. Yeah, what the process so is. So I spent years doing that while doing comedy at nights without traveling, just you know, doing my spots at the store <clears> and kind of balancing this duality of entertainment, business, and stand-up. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And do you feel like you have a greater understanding of the business now after doing that? I do, but I also understand that, you know, like John said, nobody knows anything. Even executives don't know anything. I I witnessed it firsthand. Like, they don't know. They're just waiting to see, like, what's hot. You know, what can they throw, you know, uh, gas to the fire. Like, you have to have that spark, and there's really no rhyme or reason just seeing it. When you you think about this, think about, like, Breaking Bad was, was rejected by multiple networks and HBO. And then... AMC or A and E or whatever picked it up. I mean, which you're going all right, fine. If that's where we got, yeah, go, I guess right, this is yeah. a thing. And then next thing you know, they're like a full on badass network with the multiple shows yeah. based on that one purchase. Meanwhile, five people get fired at other companies because they're like, "You passed on what now? This thing that's winning all these awards and that everyone yeah. loves? You fucking out of here!" Yeah. So everyone is afraid. Executives are afraid to take a chance. Because they'll get fired for getting something that's not successful. And they're afraid to not pick stuff because they get fired if it is successful somewhere else. It's like they have a very and you're and there's no mathematical equation for it. There's no it's just like this is popular now. This is not popular. Mm-hmm. This is sort of popular. This is popular with these people. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, kind of like it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It just kind of has to be in that moment and it has to connect and it clicks with people. And then the heat seekers jump on it and then raise it up even further because they know how to do that. Yep. Right? Yep. They don't know how to build it, but they know how to they know how to praise it. They know how to put it up there, right? Yep. That part of the machine works. You know, exactly. whether we like it or not. Yeah. You know, I mean sometimes you we watch it and be like, wait, what that show I that show's been on this on, on on TV for six years. Yeah, who's watching that? And you're yeah. like, you, sometimes you get confused, not in a negative way. You're just like shocked, and it's like because the system knows how to do that. Or once, once it's there, they know how to keep it there for as long as they possibly can and get something out of it. It's also equally interesting when you mention a show that you absolutely love and people are like, I've never heard of it, and you're like, wait, what? Am I? I can't be the only one watching this, right? Like, there's there's also that whole thing where you're like, I might be the only person watching, and then when it's canceled, you're like. Yeah, probably, because I was the only one watching it. Like, <laughs> more people would have fucking chimed in. Um, but, so you go through that process. Did you ever at any point, I mean, you, uh, the way you are talking about it now, you, you're very matter-of-fact about it, but early on, did it frustrate you when you were on the inside to see how they didn't handle things? Oh, yeah, totally, And dude. make you bitter, and how did you deal with that? 
Well, I remember I remember a point when I was at so I was working at UTA as an assistant, and I remember seeing like like Mike Birbiglia, and I was doing shows with this, this guy back in the day, or like you know other comedians who were repped at UTA, and they'd be like, "What are you Tarun? What are you doing here in this room?" And there was a guy who I went to film school with, and he's a big producer, and they were they were showing him around. And like, Tarun, what are you doing here? Are you an agent? I was like, no, I'm an assistant. And he was like, this makes no sense. He's like, call me. So I go out to dinner with him at his house. He was like living in Ryan Stiles' house, you know, whatever. And I just tell him the story, like what happened? And he's like, dude, that's totally fine. And this is your journey. And I was okay with it, man. Like, because I feel like suffering leads to higher consciousness. And that's what I had to go through to really without, understand who Without I was. dark, there is no light. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean too philosophical here, but that's what it was. And I'm really glad I went through that because it made me start, you know, meditating, jujitsu, like all this shit. Just I tried to just figure out who I was and try to block out what I'm supposed to want in life. Right. Can I go back to something you touched on earlier? And I, yep. and I, and, and it, it is family. You're saying culturally where you guys come from, there's a very high standard that you're supposed to meet. So uh, let's just, uh, can we just go through this just for a sec here? What do your siblings do and were you, did you ever feel like you were not meeting the goals of them? Did they go into the world of the success and how how were your parents in respects to supportive, confused? Where, where, where did they fall within this world that you chose? My parents are extremely supportive. Like, okay. It's all self-imposed uh, feelings of inadequacy. Again, I think internally everyone has their own private battles and this was my standards that I, I've always held high expectations for myself, like what I want to achieve, what I want to do. But my parents' family, nothing but supportive throughout everything. My older brother, he's a successful executive in New York. Okay. So he's always done really well. My younger brother, he's a successful actor, commercial actor, does really well. Okay, so he's, he went into the same business as you. Yep. Is that your fault? Yes. <laughs> yes. Is he in Bobby Khan? Yeah, he played He played the director, uh, the nervous director guy. That's your brother? Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. No, nobody really does. Oh, but do you he, guys keep that secret? No, not oh. at all. I, but, but I really wanted to help him get his, you know, shit going. So yeah. we just threw him a roll. Does he live out here now? He does. Wow, that's great. He doesn't do stand up. You didn't follow you that far. No, he just he's an actor and he's doing really well. God bless him. He's doing, you know, he's working like crazy. Okay, he's got he's got a couple of nationals running. Does that ever bother you? No, no, okay, it doesn't. Good. It doesn't. I, I really want him to be. So, if if I'm Frank Stallone to him, so be it. You know, honestly, <laughs> honestly so be it. I want I want nothing but the best for my brother. You are definitely over forty if you're using yeah. a Frank Stallone reference. Here. <laughs> yeah, my dad will get that. My dad. Well, maybe damn it. I don't no, know good. If my dad knows who your who dad. Frank Stallone is. And I don't know if anybody's going to get that, but it just so everyone's clear, Sly uh, Sylvester Stallone has a brother named Frank, <laughs> who is also an actor and slash saxophone player. Well, you know, we had um, Nate Cordry on a couple episodes ago, and, and you know, um, I know both him and his his brother Rob very well, and you know, I well enough that I you know when he was here, I asked him, yeah. like, is it a, is it ever is it ever problematic? Like, you, like uh, the world knows who Rob Corddry is, yeah. but Nate, you'd have to know about acting and watching certain shows yeah. and being like, oh, that guy's in this thing, and he's really good in it, but you wouldn't be like, oh, that's Nate Corddry. Like, yeah, so we kind of talked about, like, has that ever been a thing? You know, because you often wonder about that. If one gets more successful than another family member, I mean, and they're not the only ones. It's not unique to that, right. to the Corddrys or your family. I mean, there's a lot of families out there that have those dynamics where you're like... <laughs> 
Same with baseball. Yeah, that's yeah. how I look at it too. Is like some some kids get into the majors and they play 14, 15 years. Their brother gets in, plays one season, out. You know what I mean? It's just a difference of skill sets and yeah. what's hot at the time and who's you know, liking what. But it was interesting. He was very open about it and very honest about like yeah, you know he it, what he went through that. a very you know high and low journey with that whole thing and he's definitely come to terms with it. He understands um, you know how that all how that dynamic all plays out. You know? And he also does it doesn't. He, it's not that he doesn't care. It's just that he wants. Different things from different a career thing, yep. as well. Like he's, he's different, pursuing yeah, different things. Yeah, like he's a legit. Like I mean, they're both legitimate actors. They're both very he's good. Working but like, that crazy right now too. Yeah, but like Nate's focused on like being a really good. Like Rob Corgi, a lot of what sometimes you see, you're like oh, that's Rob doing half Rob and then half acting. You know, but with Nate, it's a different character. And every he was in fucking Mindhunter. He was in, he's a, more more of a range, if you will. And I'm not saying Rob doesn't I'm have. Saying that I'm range. staying out of this. Don't you don't you drag me? I'm not saying Rob doesn't away. have more of a range. I'm saying as as you look at them now, where they're at in their career, Rob d- does more of the comedy uh, slash comedic. Yes, yeah, drama. He, does, he definitely stays on the bigger yeah. the bigger comedy side. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah, Nate yeah. wants to do more of the uh, the drama, more subtle. Yeah, more subtle drama. Yeah, stuff. but they're both fantastic human beings. So because I, I, I mean that's and, and it is kind of pointless, you know. To I mean I guess it teaches own, but it would be kind of pointless, I guess, to carry that type of grudge if all of a sudden your younger brother got more successful than you anyway. Well, also, what, what kind of brother be? are you if you're no. fucking like? I mean, that's just. I mean, no you're, offense to anybody who's like that, you're but Frank you're Stallone. a dick. But I don't think Sly is a dick to Frank. No, I'm just making that up. Yeah, I think Thanksgiving I think is of. pretty great at their house. They all get the same amount of potatoes or whatever. Frank's not allowed. Frank's not allowed. Frank, put no more no gravy for you. Like what? Well, if anything, I want my brother to learn because I when I was 27, 28, I was doing really well, and things can change really fast. So I want my brother to understand that anything like you know this money could they can stop. Booking you tomorrow. Yeah. Another guy could be the flavor of the month guy. There, there is a lot of that na- naivete that we all had when we first started, when we made money doing like commercials or production work or whatever. Like, even my mom was like, I, I would have thought you'd have been okay with all the years on punk. And I'm like, Yeah, you would have thought, but uh, I wasn't like, Let's get a 401k started. I was like, This is going to last forever. I'm a fucking idiot. And then, you know, all you have, you do a commercial that only runs one day and you're like, Hey, I was supposed to pay my rent for six months. How, how much uh, younger is he than you? He's about. Five years. Okay. Years. Did you, uh, and how much older is your other brother? He's uh, 40, he's 44. Okay, so there's a there's about a three or four year gap between the three. So do you guys, grew, so you guys grew up together and, and could associate for the most part with each other. I'm assuming the younger and the older brother, not as strong of a relationship, right? Because the older would have been long gone. That's a great question, but we were always like kind of in boarding school. Like I was at home. I was in boarding school, so we never really had that teenage dynamic together. Oh wow! So yeah. that's lacking. Because you, oh, that's right. Because you went to boarding school at fourteen. Fourteen. So he would have been nine, mm-hmm. ish around. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's when you would have been coming in and out with all your high school buddies and doing shit, and he would have been like, "Ooh, look at that! These guys seem cool." Yeah. So yeah. we're not like super close, brother-wise. Like we're not like calling each up. Every day talking about girls and stuff, but because you know. <laughs> that's what me and my brother do. Hey, dude, chicks. Arrange marriages. I don't know. <laughs> dude, that that being he your first sponsor. sponsor, that being your first sponsor is really <laughs> funny. That's really They're funny, still dude. Sponsoring me to this day. They, are they? No. <laughs> the, well, the funny thing is, it's like I when you as soon as you said that, my first thought would well, you were gonna be like, this is not real, right? This has got to be a joke, right? That's your first sponsor. Oh, but man. I guess it's a real thing. Yeah, dude, if Ashley Madison's a real website, there's got to be an arranged marriage. Did they get taken down? I don't know. Oh, in fact, our first sponsored episode, you know, it's arranged marriages, setting people up. We Our episode was about, like, rigging the system and making up a fake profile, you know, to get, <laughs> you know, that's what the episode was about, using their website. 
and they're like, dude, we're not going to pay you for this. Like, this is like not what we're trying to. Yeah, I was just going to say, you're doing the opposite <laughs> of what they're. Exactly. <laughs> so we got in trouble. We thought we were going to lose our sponsorship the first day. The first That's day. That's hilarious. Yeah. And here's what we did. They're like, this is insulting to us and our company, you guys. <laughs> That's <laughs> Yeah. So after you did all that stuff, so did you, how did you, how did you, going back to doing the stand-up and stuff like that, and, and but also working, um, you know, at, at doing the, uh, the, the assistant work, did that affect you at all in your creative process as well as how you would go about, like, what do I want to create next? How do I want to create? How do I create within this system? Or did you eventually just go, all right, this is what the system is, but I'm just going to keep doing my thing? I think for me, it was about making what I wanted to make. Like, for a while, I was trying to make reality stuff because I was working in reality TV. So it did affect you a little bit. A little bit. But then I started making stuff that I wanted to make. So I made, like, three or four web series on my own without, you know, Atif, just to kind of figure out my voice, what I wanted to do. And I found that was completely exhausting. You know, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't having fun doing it. <clears throat> yeah. Like, yeah. Just making these web series again and again and again. Like, it was just like, dude, I got to do something different. But you did, what's the used car salesman one? So I kind of ran out of money years ago, three years ago, and I was working at CarMax. I was selling used cars. Okay. So I did that for three months, four months, and I met a guy there who's a writer producer, and we were like, "This would be a great." Met him working there as well, CarMax. or he came in to buy a car. He, oh, he was working at CarMax. Uh, okay, with all right, that's great. And so we were like, "Hey, let's make a series out of this." So we both pieced out after four months. I made a full pilot for about six months you know, on red cams and all this shit, and you know, we made that again. It was like a mini Bobby Con where yeah. we just kind of spent, you know. And uh, we actually, ICM took that out. They, they kind of shopped it around. Nobody bought. But, you know, it was, a good, again, a good experience. A good experience. And I think if people are shopping your shit around, even if they're not buying it, they're seeing you. And they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Who is this delusional kid who just no, keeps coming I don't, back? I, oh, no, I don't think. If it, look, if it's good enough for ICM to, to shove in front of somebody, I don't think anyone's going, who's this delusional kid? I think they're like, either this isn't for us or, you know. But, John, that was me pulling my connections at that point because I had so many connections at that point working behind the scenes. I yeah. Was like, now I know people. So I kind of forced my friends, yo, take this shit out, please, for me. Pull me do me a favor. Well, that's great. And again, people saw you. So I, you know, that's thank you. That's like part of it. I think that's a that's a big. And when was it. this? When did you take that out? That was two years ago. Two years ago. Okay. Let's say that was fairly and recent, right? Working on more stuff since then. You know, I've been doing been doing stand up. Okay. Pretty consistently because, uh, you know, I just wanted this. I've never like really just gone full force stand ups in years. So I started doing Bobby Khan on stage. I was opening for somebody, and uh, he was like, "Dude, just do Bobby Khan, see how that that goes." And it started killing. And I went from featured to now headlining shows. So that's been, you know, take me to another level. We got a Larry the Cable Guy situation. Dude, it's literally Larry the Cable Guy 2019. Yeah. Like I'm getting so many more opportunities doing Bobby Khan on stage. And right. Because you, you, you could do Bobby as a chunk of your act, or you could do Bobby as you as the act. Yeah, like, people think I'm actually Bobby Khan. Right. Like when I go to like Vegas or like these small towns around L.A., so yeah, I'm just kind of going the flow of it, and that is paying your bills right now. That's mm -hmm. you've just you've gone that into that full time. Yeah, that's paying my bills right now. That's good. You know, I do appreciate the fact, and I think a lot of people try to hide. There, there is no shame in having a regular job and still pursuing your dreams. Absolutely and it was not. One thing, yeah, but a lot of people are afraid to admit. Like you said, I was working at CarMax. You know how many people would would be working at CarMax for three years and wouldn't refuse to tell anybody? They want to create this. No, no, all I do 
is this thing. And it's just like, <clears throat> it, no, it's okay. You can do both. But that's also a certain type of person. Like uh, with Tarun, like myself, with you, like it's the room. Point, pointing right? out our... Did I, get, who, did I get it right? Yeah, it's perfect, dude. Thank well, you. pointing out like our fucking, our, our flaws and our failures and what, you, what we perceive as like shortcomings or whatever is kind of what we do as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, so talking about... This kind of stuff is like part of the. Oh yeah, you think your struggle's bad? Well, check this out, Carmax for three We're months. Out struggling each but, other, but but not not <laughs> a, no not in a way that's like a one one up thing. But like just being open about it is is it seems more like a lot of comedians I know are more open to talk about this kind of shit. Whereas there are people who put out a fake persona, meaning like oh no everything's great. No, I, I I'm always acting. I'm always on set. I'm always a model. You're like. Dude, you, you you know, and then they're like, I'm on tour. You're like three shows, uh, you know, in LA. You're not a tour, and you're not on set all the time. This is a friend's thing you're doing, you know, uh, for the holidays. It's I'm, like I'm also gonna blame MySpace and the book The Secret. A lot of comics, <laughs> yes, fake it till you make fake it, fake it till you make it thing, yeah. and you were like, please stop. Yeah, especially when you know that person, you know everything that they're putting out there. Oh, is dude, that's embarrassing. And also, here's my, here's my favorite thing. A lot of people ask me, "No, they don't." No, they don't. <laughs> you want to brag about something, so your way of getting that out there is to pretend like it's a commodity that people are interested in. A lot of people ask me, you know, John, when you're on the road, what's your favorite thing to do? I walk seven miles a day. It's like, shut up. No one asked you that. Fuck off. Like. That that's the kind of shit like this bullshit. Look how great I am while I'm humbly doing my thing. Horse shit. You like people. Oh, the ob the obligatory trailer, the set photo. Nothing. You're not ob obligated to take unless you're a professional fucking photographer being assigned something. You're not obligated to take pictures of anything. Not the food that you fucking eat. Not your legs by a pool. My office for the day. No. What did you do today? Fuck off. All right. That's such garbage to me and it's i see right through that and anybody who's like oh congratulations this is beautiful like you're just playing into it and maybe they do that because they do the same thing and they want someone to play i understand posting pictures of set being on set doing things i get that because it combats our sense of inferiority i do it too i'm not saying i'm above it or i'm better than it i'm saying why we do it is not the pretend reason that everyone gives. Well, don't you? I guess I have to take a picture of this trailer I'm in. I guess I have to take a picture of being on the CBS lot. No, you don't. You could do the fucking show. You could act, and then you could promote it when you're done <clears throat> or when it's going to air. But don't pretend like there's a clamoring for people to know professionally how you got where you are or how you're doing what you're doing. Because if it's not fucking hard work and taking a beating, then you're a liar. Hashtag set life. I'm going to go get John <laughs> some edibles because he needs to calm the fuck down. Some CBD. CB daddies. CBD. CBD. Um, but you, uh, so how, but just out of curiosity, when, did you just decide you didn't want to be the assistant anymore and that's how you ended up at, like doing like Carmack stuff? Is that why, how did you end up going from there? Or not saying to yourself at some point, upward, meeting someone, go work over at, maybe go work at a studio, may go work over at CBS or something like that. Because I'm assuming you, you were meeting all those people too. And did you, did you never not, did you, did you decide that that was not a path nope. to production and success? So I did this for like four, four or five years while I was shooting stuff at nights. And I, I rose to becoming a manager at another agency, like a small agency. So I was repping like Tyrese Gibson and a bunch of other like, like urban celebrities, like monetizing the social media. And then I kind of got let go slash left. And then I started my own agency. I had a bunch of like influencers. 
And I was like, I fucking hate all these people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I how does a 41-year-old man deal with influencers? Dude, it sucked. Because, like, I had all these, these these clients. And, like, I set them all up with, like, like representation. And they wouldn't show, show up for their auditions and stuff. And I was like, this is... Because I worked my ass off when I was talent, and yeah. you'd see these guys. You would never like, not show up for an audition without calling somebody or no, letting somebody dude, it know. Was like ridicu- ridiculous. What is that world like, dude? It's a shit show. In fact, I remember this is. I barely talk about this stuff. I remember so CAA interviewed me to be an agent there, as a, to be a digital agent, and I actually went through everything. I had to meet the whole like office. Like I had to get, I got to the final round where I met the whole pe- the office. And I couldn't get past that because I had no interest in repping their influencers. Yeah. It was such a sh- And they even told me, they were like, dude, you know, just so you know, you're dealing with these 20-year-old managers. You know, like, that's who you're dealing with. You know, like, don't worry about it. I know it's going to get frustrating. So even they know, like, that how... This frust- is a shit. It's the Wild West, dude. Nobody has a way to... There's no laws about it. There's no... The monetization is all dude, over the place. It like, is the Wild West, and it is but a mess. What, what does it actually mean? Like, what are those people? What are their... Men- like, what is that world? Like, really, at the end of the day, you've done it. So what is that world? So basically, if you have influencers, it's not just about being a hot girl. It's about having, being popular in a certain vertical, like fitness, you know, lifestyle, whatever. And you take that, uh, that brand and you align it with an advertiser and, and then you, you know, start posting. Or yeah, if your thing is fitness, it's like this health shake. Yep. So now you're a girl or a guy who's real buff that everyone wants to look at going, I drink this health shake. Yep. You become basically a fucking paid spokesman. You find that authentic connection and there are different ways to express that on social media, whether it's a paid post you know, a video, whatever it is, you know, there's different ways to monetize that. It sounds basically like commercial advertising, but so, but where does it actually just become like, all right, I can't deal with these people? Is it, is just, are they just unrealistic? Well, people can deal with that. I just have like a low tolerance. So I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather sell cars. Okay. This. So I just let go of everybody and took a job at CarMax. Okay. That's funny that you're just like, I'm not going to do this. But, you know, again, it's like... When faced with staying in the entertainment industry, dealing with influencers (laughs) and selling cars to the general public, he went with fucking CarMax without too much of a thought. Like, Yeah, I remember a long time ago when I was wanted to... When I was first talking about getting into producing, uh, I was talking to a producing friend of mine, and he was like, things are great, man. I mean, look, this this is what I'm doing, and this is what I think you should do. He's like, what you need to do is just make movies... With internet stars, and I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, because you know, it's like it's it's an you know because the, the logic is, you'll get the investment because they see the return on the investment, and and these people will are worth the, so everybody's has a has a value. All the followers and are going to watch. He's talking about the followers and the value and all this stuff, and I'm still waiting for the part about like, but where's the talent and where's the the good writing? Where's the great storyline and where's the casting? And it's like, no, 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 you just have these people do it. And I'm like, but I just don't, and I was just like, gross, no. And I stayed out of it. And look, maybe that's some of that stuff successful, but I will tell you, everything that he ever made, never heard of it, nobody's ever talked about it. And I remember seeing him years later and asking him, and he's like, I'm out of it. And I said, well, why were you out of it? He goes, because they didn't care. They didn't act. They just thought, well, it's me. So I'll just do me, whatever the storyline is, and my, my followers are going to pay, are going to subscribe, whatever it was, and that's that. And he was like, it was soulless. Yeah, there was no creativity because it was literally it was it was vanity driven, dude. And I was like, that's why I just walked away from it. I was like, well, if it's gonna take me that much longer to do it the way I want to do it, I can't do it that way. That's why I was curious, like what you, what you got from it and why you wanted to stay away from it. And maybe maybe we are just old farts that want to have nothing to do with it. I don't know, but 
Well, I'm glad I went through it, honestly, because now I understand that world and just how it applies to me. And you can kind of, you know, you asked about not caring. Like, I, you, you stop caring. You know, I don't care what people think about me, you know, my flaws, what I've done. It is what it is. Yeah. And you can judge. That's your shit. So I'm just going to do whatever I do, probably make more mistakes in the future, probably fail a lot more. And that's inevitable. You got to go through it. Yeah, this, I will say the one thing, I don't think I'll ever personally have to deal with this, and I won't care if I did, but there is something going on in this world and the way it's shifted now that when somebody does get a break, there seems to be an attack mode that comes in. There's a <coughs> subculture that comes in and does like this investigative bullshit journalism on everybody to yeah. see if they can find your flaws yeah. and see how that those flaws could create like an anger or a shutdown of it. And I just look at that going, well, I guess if that's going to happen, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, you, it's just weird to me that there's a takedown society going in now, you know, because everybody has fucked up. Everybody has said something inappropriate in their Dude. life, has done something stupid in their lives that they regret. Of course. And does that mean everybody should be taken down? You know? No. I'm not, and I'm not justifying. It. There are people that they're beyond protecting and supporting if they've been exposed for some bad bad shit i will also but say that mid-level shit come on the middle of shit in, in, in regardless like for the most part people are allowed to for the most part are allowed to apologize for the mid-level shit i'm talking like and i'm talking this is like it goes back to steroids in baseball like the people who have denied that they ever took steroids are out of the league they're not going to get into the hall of fame they're fucking weirdos and they're kind of ostracized the people who have said yep i took steroids i apologize i'm so sorry they're either announcers now or they're still in the league or they're you know they're managers or whatever they're still allowed around the game of baseball they're probably eventually going to get into the hall for something else if not for their playing and and it's it's a, you know you have to make it look like a genuine apology whether it is or not I would like to think it should be a genuine apology, but for the most part, society seems to forgive fairly easily. But you're right; when anybody gets anything, there's this crazy attack mode. And to me, it's it's all projection. It's all like this motherfucker got this. Well, now I, I can take him down because now taking someone down is pretty easy. Now you just got to take one day of research. You can compile all the shit they've done in their lifetime that's negative, because you could do the same thing for me or you or you. It's like, yeah, sure, uh huh, great. I did those things. Am I that person? This is, am I the same 13-year-old now that I'm 40 fucking four? No, of course not. I've grown. People grow. They mature. They fucking evolve. They become more open-minded. There's so many things. They also That could also go the other way, which I've seen it happen. And you're like, oh, well, that's weird. You started out as someone I thought was open-minded and cool and neat, and you've fucking narrowed everything down to, like, one thing. It is funny, you know, because I've shot so much content in my life. Um <clears throat> Uh, I was big into YouTube in the early 2000s, and I, I did have a friend that eventually <laughs> called me up and said, hey, um, can you take down a video that we shot a long time ago? Because I've got uh, teenage kids now, and they found it, and they're showing it, and I really don't want that out because there's a dildo in it, and I'm playing with the dildo, and I'm like, fair enough. It is comedy, but I totally understand you're but, a dad yeah, now, but, and but you don't you, want that on the it's, internet. It's not like you're making a million dollars a day on it, and, and all you're doing is like helping this guy just kind of control his family situation. Yes, yes. Yeah. But it's so funny how like you don't think about it along the, to us. It was just silliness. Yeah, we weren't trying to take anybody down or mock right. anybody or whatever. Right. It was just silliness. But it's like I I fully understand how like yeah you know. 16 years ago. Well, we also, I don't think the idea that... We didn't have kids put, and we thought that was hilarious. Yeah, and when you and you didn't, the, the concept of like putting something on the internet and having it be there forever was a little bit foreign. 
Whereas now, that's the, what I feel bad about most about children or kids or teenagers growing up when they, they videotape, they put everything online. It's like, bro, don't do that. You're not going to want that online when you're 30. Like, sure. Well, I know my kids' friends have, go, have, have looked me up on of YouTube. Of course they have, dude. My kids tell me. I don't know if my kids have watched all my stuff on YouTube. It's, of course they I have. Because I forget about my YouTube page. It was very successful like back in the early 2000s. I got to check it out, dude. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff on there that I just forget. You know, you just I, I was a I was a uh, uh, my theory was put it out, just just content, put, baby. You don't know what they're gonna gravitate towards. Do not overthink it. Just put it out. Some stuff's gonna live. Some stuff's gonna die. Just go, 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 go. And so I just forgot. I mean, I've got tons of videos on there that I'm sure some of their friends are like, dude, what the, the fuck is this? Dad? Yeah, your dad's a weirdo. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of people we know, especially out here. Like, we move out here in our <laughs> 20s. We make start making videos and doing shit that we think is funny then. Then you have two kids. They can become fucking adults. And they're like, hey, Dad, what are, what are these videos you playing with my fucking Spider-Man toys? What is this shit? But couldn't you say that's who you were at that moment in time? Like, yeah. Everybody evolves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I yes. Look, I mean, if, if someone was to point out something that I did was shameful, I would apologize for it and I would take it down. I don't think there is anything. But if there was, that's how I would process it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go into hiding and say, well, my life is over because I'm an horrible Yeah, and, and, and there's this idea of the perfect individual is a complete and utter myth. Like, even even George Clooney wakes up with, and has at least one thought a day of, like, ugh, I got to do this, or God damn it, why can't I do that? Or, you know, no one liked me for this. Or, like, look, there's just, there's no way around that. Like, the human mind is fucking insane. And that's all it is. It's like people become their thoughts and they think that this is everything. And you're like, dude, Take the set of eyes that are like behind that, that are watching you have these thoughts, that are having, like, why are you angry? Why is this your first move to like yell, fuck Tarun, he shouldn't be getting anything. This is, I should be, I've been out here longer. Like, what, why, why, what are you, what are you, why is that your first go-to? Why are, why are you so pissed? Like, do that and it almost diffuses your anger immediately. We had a, a running joke um, a long time ago when I, one of my videos, uh, way back when YouTube would fe feature like four videos. Like that was it. Like one of them was mine. And I'll never forget when that happened. I was like so excited because it caught me off guard. I didn't know it was going to happen. I just woke up to finding out that it happened. And um, I was getting all these positive emails from like strangers all over the world. I'm like, this is amazing. This is like so unique. What a great experience. And then I went to my inbox on youtube and the first email that was in there was fuck you i hope you die and i was like <laughs> yes i've made it yes people hate me for my success i am peaking everybody i am peaking i've got my first hate mail that's and it's funny. but that's but that's the world and that's right there i knew i'm like this is the world you live in yeah. this is what's gonna happen if you want to put yourself out there man there's the good, and there is some dark, dark shit that comes after you as well. I just, that's what I don't. I I, I kind of follow the, especially now. But uh, Dean Del Rey says it a lot. But it's promote what promote what what's great, not what you hate. Like, wh what is the point of me going online and bitching about everything I don't like when I could go, hey, here's something I do like. If you like this kind of thing, you're gonna like this too. It's like. There's this the difference of mindset now is so many people want to do that. They want to take something down or fucking prove something wrong or like it's just this weird like don't if you don't care for something, that's fine. If it's not affecting and like physically hurting you or your family, like just ignore that shit. You know, I have a question for you that um, I'll just ask it with, and hopefully it's not framed negatively. There's a lot of people now that look like John and I. 
that privately love to bitch about the fact that people like you are getting all the opportunities and us white people are being shelved now by the industry. So I'm just curious in your just your personal experience, your life journey as far as being Indian, being in the entertainment business from when you started to where you're at now, what it's been like for you and have you ever heard those grumblings and have you ever had any of your friends that are basically white dudes that will, would, they aren't even thinking that would say that stuff in front of you. Like somehow or another, you're, you're part of their problem. Does that make sense? Like it's a weird dynamic that's going on around Hollywood, but it's going around very quietly. A lot of people, I hear people grumble about it. They'll never say it publicly. Yeah. Um, I've never, first of all, I've never benefited from it. (laughs) So that theory can fuck off. But, um, but you know, know it exists. I I, I know it exists. In fact, I got a message, uh, last week, even, some somebody who saw Bobby Khan, and then they were like, I got, oh, "This is a great movie. I got to watch DCOC. I got to watch Bobby Khan. It's great." And I said, "And he said, thanks so much for paving the way." And I sent it to my friend Atif, and he was like, kind of sarcastic. He's like, "Man, I'm so glad we were able to pave the way for other people, <laughs> you know." But you know, I'm I'm I think that's just what it is. Sometimes life is not fair. Yeah, a lot of guys who are brown or diverse were not talented, getting opportunities, you know that. They probably wouldn't have gotten five years ago. And guess what? It'll probably shift in two or three years. Exactly. How many fucking white dudes have been given roles they didn't deserve over the last fucking 75 years in Hollywood? Like, there, there's so much that's been going on. Like, th- anybody who's complaining about it now is really funny to me. I'm just like, okay, that that's why you're not getting roles? Because you're white? Like, oh, that's the thing? Like... I mean, I get it. They People have been told outright by agencies, nah, dude, I don't need another white guy. Like, which is something you could never tell another race of people. Like, you could never, <laughs> you could never be an agent and go, dad, dad, we've got enough Asian people." You know, you could never do that. You'd be fucking immediately called out in the press. But like, but you can easily say it to white dudes, and the, and and most white people go, "Oh yeah, okay." But like during your journey, did you ever feel like the early on that your options were limited? Did you have that exact opposite experience? Yeah, I mean, it was not easy being an Indian. You know, everything I'd go out for was like, you know, 7-Eleven guy or, you know, cab Oh, driver. God, yeah, that said. must have been fucking annoying. You know, which is why I started, I made Bobby Khan and Day COC because I you know, was like, this is sick of this, you know, same roles over we and don't, over yeah, Every role's a stereotype, just yeah, like... Everything was like the same thing. Yeah. You know, it was like not, not, not fun for me. So I just like go my theatrical agent and was like, let me make my own stuff for a couple of years. So... It's, yeah, it's, I think a lot of people have a tendency to not want to acknowledge the fact that Somebody like you had to go through that. Where after a while, you're like, it, "There's, there's more to life than the guy at Seven Eleven or a cab yeah. driver." It, I can see. I look at you and I go, "I could watch a television show. You could be a lead actor in a television show. You could be a movie star." And I wouldn't look at you. And I know for a fact my kids, because they're growing up in a different world, they would not look at you and go, "Well, he doesn't relate to me because he doesn't look like me." They would base their decision on your performance. What do you bring to that character? Are you know what I mean? Like yeah. how you deliver it. They'd watch because they liked it. it, or they wouldn't watch because they didn't. But not they, because but they would they not would, make yeah. the choice solely based on your skin color. And it's just it's so funny that we have this discussion now that it's like, what the fuck took you? Like, why are we even? Why was that ever a thing? You know? Sure. It's but, so weird. But that to me, like, like that, again, that's just this is evolution. Like. I think we're becoming like as 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 fucked up as everything is in society, uh, politically and financially and all that. I think as people, we are becoming better. Like 
we've hit our bottom. I think we're moving. And, and granted, we can still hear the internet has given some really ignorant motherfuckers a voice, and they're loud as shit. Most ignorant people are loud as shit. Can we? I thought they were going to do that thing, that net neutrality thing, where they can slow the internet to certain places. Maybe we just slow the internet to this. But again, people. then you become into who's <laughs> to say who's slow. I'm you know kidding. what I mean? I know, I know. Thank but, you. Well, but, that's uh, it for my political platform. I'll but, never make president. Well, but you know, but it, but I feel that. Uh, well, I don't know where I was going. If I can interrupt. Well, I was just me. talking about it in in general, like what. If 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 he's if he's seeing the, if you're seeing yeah. Brian, change, I, I never wanted to be that guy where I was you know where I made it just because somebody like gave me that break. It'd be nice, but my fans that I have now is from the years of putting out content, you know, being myself. Whether it's you know hosting, you know the 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 pilots, the movies, you know the books, whatever whatever I've made, my fans are because they know who I am as a person. It's not because. You know, some executive gave me a role. Right. I don't have that one defining movie role or TV role that made me who I am. Right. Yeah, I just it just got me thinking about, like, because I remember, like, um, I didn't know who Aziz Ansari was, like, when he was coming through the, the thing. And I just remember everybody going, well, you know the only reason why he's, they're I, propping I, him I up. I got a great story about Aziz. I don't know if you heard those same grumblings in the comedy scene when he came around, but a lot of people were like, oh, dude, he's just getting everything because, you know, he's the, the guy. Oh, so this is actually, so I, I wrote a book, by the way. It's my book, like a novel. But when I was. Uh, uh, make sure we get to that. Fiction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. fiction? Non-fi- what are we talking it's, about? It's, it's, it's fiction book based on everything I went through. Oh, okay. But it's, everything's based on truth. But when I was at, in New York, I was trying to get in this club called The Comic Strip. And this guy named Lucian Holt, who's dead now, and he was like the gatekeeper, you know, at The Comic Strip. And it was a really great club to get into, like, you know, hot, hot spot. And I was like 23. And I finally got to, I got past the first person. I met with Lucian, not just for Lucian. And he brings you in this, this back office, you know, with like all this shit, whatever. And he sits you down and he goes, he goes, Tarun, he goes, uh, he goes, you're good enough to play here. You're like a C-level comedian. I'm like, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking asshole. Right? But he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, I remember he goes, I already have my Indian guy. I just passed him last week. You know, and he's, he's a neophyte. And I was just thinking, so you're like a zookeeper here? Like, what? <laughs> if you ever eat Fuck, guy? dude, like, that's crazy. And it was Aziz. It was Aziz he passed, like, the week before me. And he was younger. He was, like, 19 or whatever. So, you know, it was it was that moment where I was like, dude, this is, like, holy shit. Like, I'm, like, I got to be the one Indian guy in these clubs. It wasn't like how it was now where, you know, you could have a 1,000 Indian guys, 1,000 Jews, whatever. But back then, it was, like... Here's my Indian guy. Here's my fat guy. Here's yeah. my whatever, my Chinese guy. Yeah. It was a different time. And yeah. there, there, yeah, comedian in cars getting coffee. There's a, um, I don't watch a lot of them, but they're the one with Eddie Murphy and Jerry Seinfeld. And Eddie Murphy talks about a lot of people always used to ask him when he was coming up, like, oh, you and Richard Pryor must have been tight. No. And he tells that whole story about like, no. Because Richard, Richard Pryor's Pryor, competition. I, I was a threat to him because he was the one black guy. And I was the new guy coming in, and he was protecting his turf, so that because they they, he, they just assumed, well, no, he probably took you under his wings and was like, you know, we're we're gonna build this together. And he was like, no, he just realized what was going on in society at that time. He was the guy, and he needed to hold on to his real estate because they weren't giving anybody else those shots. Yeah, and that's just it's when I hear that. Like what you're talking about, it's like so weird to me. Because like, you would never say that back then. You'd never say to a white male, like if I rolled into a, uh, we've already passed a white guy. Like you would never hear that. It, but it's so stupid because he, he's not basing their performance. He's basing it on yeah. filling a quota, and it just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. We've got he, six pandas, dude. We don't need another <laughs> panda. But John, you know what? Just being an Indian guy, and this is my theory. Like I can still see that they prop up like one Indian guy 
you know, per year. Like, it was Cal Penn, and then when Aziz got in trouble, they started pushing Hassan Minaj more. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we, I, from an Indian, you can kind of see, like... You see it. Who's the, 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 who's the flavor of the month type I'm sure, like, how it is, like, any, like... You also, know, all those... Hart, all right, you know, also those people that you named are hard workers, and they've, they've been in the business for a very long time. Nobody came up overnight. Those guys put... They bust their ass to do what they do, and they have a very solid fan base exactly. from doing it. So... I, I see what you're saying. Yes, that it can look like that, and it feels like that, and it might be that. But uh, the, that's not to belittle what those guys no, have, those guys have are, done. Those yeah. guys are all talented. Yeah. I'm not belittling. No, no, I know so. you're not. I know you're not. It's, so you have to defend the two white guys on the podcast. <laughs> you know, and again, I don't know, and this is not an attack on the middle of America, but maybe the research and all these agencies and managers and television, they're like, these people are never going to accept it, so we can't force You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know what goes on. In all those other, you know, the things that we don't like to think about, like which I'm assuming you saw from time to time, there's a lot of they do a lot of research and like you know, do they, is they are they still research heavy and statistic heavy and like this stuff came back and such and such is hot right now. Like, do they still do a lot of that? At and that side, of, yes. I mean, there is a like a stat person, but the agents like I have a lot of respect for agents. Just working at an agency, I respect them and I think what they do is incredibly tough. Every guy there is you know, out for themselves, they've got to deliver a certain amount of money every year to keep their jobs. Yeah. So obviously they're not going to spend years developing somebody when they've got to reach a quota. Yeah. So they got to find what what's hot. I mean, it's the way the market's structured. Yeah, which is why, I mean, again, and this is, this is nothing new. This has been going on pre these guys, but that's why almost every movie starts with Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson, and if they pass on it, then they will consider somebody else. But before it was them, it was whoever was before them. And right. It was like everything went through George Clooney, or everything went through well, you know, and, uh, and Tom Cruise. Like they had to turn it down first in order for us to find somebody else. I get, I get how the business works like that too. And know? I think most most people who get into it understand that too. I remember Jack Black being on a like a either Fallon or some kind of interview show at, at night, and they were like, "Man, you got." You're in like five things right now. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I got to get into them while I can because uh, pretty <laughs> soon the industry is about to be pretty sick old Jack, you know? And it was like, they see that. They know Kevin Hart's not dumb. Yeah, be in nine movies at once because in a year, you might not be in any movies, yeah. you know? And like you said, like, it's never forever. You never know. You could plateau. You could drop out. You could become the gross flavor of the month. You could be, you know, fucking people coming after you. Like, yeah, it, it's it's chaos. You know, when I was working with Tyrese, like he was like a big on on social media on Facebook, and two of the guys we were looking at to kind of emulate was The Rock and Kevin Hart. So I was studying Kevin Hart shit, dude. This guy had everything going, not just on camera, but like behind the scenes, his digital presence, everything he was doing. Like when you get hot, you gotta capitalize on that because your name has cachet, and that attachment can push projects through what seems like impossible firewalls without that buzz. So Yeah. Dude, and I remember Kevin Hart back at the improv just like being super like the guy always getting emails. I'm like, God, you're annoying. Stop doing that. And like all he was doing was growing his he did that every town he ever got to go do stand up in. Grew an email list, grew an email list, and then he just started emailing those people and just I mean, he really worked at building an audience. You know what I mean? It, yes, he's like loved by America at this point, but like he fucking busted his ass to get there. Yep, that's my advice to everybody. You yeah. Know, build your audience. Yeah. Be authentically who you are and build that audience. They can never take away your fans once you have those guys locked in. Yeah. You point. referenced earlier, we've talked to other people on the show about this, but you said you found meditation. Yes. 
And how long have you been doing that? And and is it hard to like go from zero to meditation? Is there a process of like trying to get into that kind of stuff? And how do you know at what point that it's actually working for you? Um, I took a transcendental meditation course. I okay. think like in thirty two, like it was like a weekend thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it was great because I got to shut down. You know, I I still meditate twenty minutes morning, twenty minutes in the evening, and you just shut down everything, and it's like a great like respite where you're just you know away and just it's okay. And I, one thing that brings me a lot of peace of mind is I don't have to make it. I can just be you know Tarunchetti and just you know watch everything. I don't have to be this person that Hollywood constantly shoves down your throat like you got to be this guy you got to be this guy I'm cool I'm cool sitting in my bed closing my eyes for 20 minutes and it brings me enormous equanimity yeah yeah I think it's just it and, and anybody who doesn't because th- I hear this a lot like people are like oh, I can't meditate my mind is I'm always thinking or whatever I'm like that then you need it the most like people who like that need it the most and and literally just sit you don't have to do transcendental. It doesn't have to be 20 minutes at night, 20 minutes in the morning, whatever. Just sit. Five minutes. Start with five minutes. Sit. Yep. Close your eyes. Just think about breathing. Think about your breath. Follow it. Listen to it. In and out. How does it make you feel? Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Do that for five minutes. Just be as still as you can be. That is meditation. So if you can, and if you feel any kind of, and if you keep doing it, like it really does open up the space of life. You know what I mean? Like not everything is go, go, go. Not, you don't have to be, because here's the thing. Even if you were a guy that Hollywood was shoving down our throat right now in 250 years, is anyone going to go, God, you know, Tarun (laughs) Shetty, man, he was so great. Like maybe also most likely no, you know, maybe Richard Pryor lives on for another 5,000 years. The rest of us, I mean, yes and no. There's going to be a certain point. You, the body drops off, and then the name will drop off eventually. You die two deaths, and and really, you're not your body, and you're not your name. You're not. You're a ball of fucking energy. And when you shed all this other stuff, the ego and everything, then that's it. You're back out there, and you're, there is no such thing as like death. It's birth and life, and you just live, and you keep living in different forms. Yep. Yeah. You said it so beautifully. I mean, just living simple, simply without cluttering your mind with all that. What shouldn't happen? What should happen? You know, you remove all that stuff. Yeah. And give yourself that. Because really, that's the past is is something you can learn from. Yeah. <clears throat> but also not anything you need to hang on to. And then the future is a fucking idea. Yeah. So the, not guaranteed either. Nothing is guaranteed. Like that's that's it. The only guarantee you have is this exact moment you're living right fucking now. So that means literally. Right now. Sorry, guys. Sorry I had to be here. <laughs> no, but I'm saying the, the uniqueness of every moment. This is something that hit me. I was listening to somebody the other day online, and no moment is um, repeatable. Every moment is unique. You can't do the same thing every day. Even if you get up and try to follow the same routine every day, guess what? You've reproduced a billion skin cells in that time. You're breathing different air, molecules that fucking Einstein breathed. Your body regenerates. Nothing is the same. Not one fucking thing stays the same from second to second. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Even when you're looking at a concrete wall, Inside the if you break it down, there's movement within all the molecules and the particles and all that shit. Nothing stays the same. No, no moment, every moment is unique. There is so every moment is like, oh wow, I'm in Brian's basement. 
Okay, yeah, maybe no, not exciting. You're, you're to still like, here. You're still here, right? You're you know what here. I mean? Like it's just like everything is is a unique moment that can't be repeated. So take it all in yeah. because everything is fucking different and special and interesting. And the fact that any of us are alive and existing in this fucking world is insane. Well, you know, it's funny that you would say that. I can sum that up in a, in a way that I kind of my awakening having a kid. Sure. Because every day when a kid is born, or after a kid is born, every day is like there's something new to them that they've never seen before. Because we forget, right? We just live our lives, and that's a door, that's a TV, that's the right. Sky, seen it, seen a... it, seen it, seen it. Watching kids go through the the wonder of every single thing, like what is that? That's that. It's amazing because you're like, oh my sure. god, I forgot about that. Sure. Like, and literally, that should be you every day <laughs> because everything you're looking at is different. It's yeah. just like. Uh, the idea that your body just keeps regenerating and cells drop off and you get new ones and you re- it's like you, everything is just in constant movement. Everything is energy. Everything is a flow. And the trick is to surrender to the flow. I have a, a do you have, did you have something to add to that? Sorry, I didn't yeah. want to. I have a question for you. So um, are, your, are your parents originally from here as well or did they? No, they're straight off the boat from India. They my, are. My dad's from Mumbai. My mom's from Bangalore. Have you ever uh, traveled over there and, and had any, and, and, and uh, how, how um, involved are you in that past culture of your family? Yeah, I used to spend my summers there growing up. Interesting. Okay. So my grandparents were there, and I used to you know, live with my grandparents, my brothers, and we used to just party up in Bangalore. So, yeah, it was a big party. Bobby Khan is from Mumbai, right? Yeah, he's from Mumbai. Is that why? Because your dad's from there? No, it was just, <coughs> I like the word Khan, and, you know, it was very generic, Mumbai. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> Gotcha. But so you enjoyed going back there. Is it? Is it, it? I've never been, so I'm gonna forgive me for my ignorance on that. But when you first, because you said you were born here, so when you first went there, was it like, whoa, dude, or did it slowly grow on you because you you were you very small when you first started going over no, there? No, I, I mean, I never liked it as a kid because you're away from like cartoons and you know baseball, all that shit that I love doing in the summertime. Now you're in India in a house, you know, reaching reading Archie comics. <laughs> right. you know, like you have nothing to do there. Not the same. It's not the same. But I mean. In retrospect, it was a great experience being able to have that world. Oh fuck yeah! Every every kid should have to go live somewhere completely different than where they live for Appreciate. a for a little bit of time, just to understand that everything isn't the same. Your life is not the same as a kid who lives in Mumbai or for you know you know the third world wherever you know. It's like she's just different for people all over the world. Dude, and everyone should travel. I did this military tour and we went to a Riyadh comedy tour. And in Saudi Arabia, and you walk around the streets there, and you're like, "Holy shit! I'm so appreciative of America. Like yeah. How much we have here? Mm-hmm. Almost too much, but yes, we yeah. have, we have a lot here. You, um, how important is heritage to your family? I mean, it's, it's I remember talking to my parents. My parents, um, my grandparents, um, were immigrants, and you know, for a lot of them, they were Irish and Italian. And they, they, it was different back then too, but they tried to hide it. There was like a, an element of shame. Change their names. From. Change their name when they and come over. And that was a big part of it in my family was just like, they were like, no, no, you're in America now. Just, just try to be as American as you possibly can and, and, and just kind of to fit in. Where does your family kind of fall within that, within that world of being in America and celebrating heritage and stuff like that? Sure. I mean. My parents are still Hindu. I'm, I'm Hindu. Okay. I mean, we practice it. We're not like super hardcore religious, but we you kind of have to fit in. You kind of do get assimilated uh, with with culture, with just growing up here. Like, and I'm American. I was born and brought up here. Like, so I don't know any other thing than being brought up in New Hampshire. Like everything my neighbors did, I did. So 
it's really important, but it's not something that was shoved down our throats like, oh, okay. you know, you've got to be this practicing, you know, conservative. Like, I eat meat. I, I do everything you probably shouldn't do as a Hindu just because, you know, it's who I am intrinsically. Okay. Can I ask you uh, another question? Obviously, this doesn't directly uh, relate to you, but obviously, I think you were living in New York at 9-11. Yeah, I was there. And what was that experience like? And did you have anybody that, because obviously in oh, America... Wow. I didn't think in about America, that at all. Everybody that doesn't look like us, as far as they're concerned, they may be the enemy. So, would you be willing to share your 9/11 story of like what what the world was like for you back then? Oh sure. This, you... how, this is how, how selfish I was. I had a, I made my my final thesis film and it was screening. So you were at school. Well, I at NYU finished, at this I point. The year before, I think. Oh, okay. Two years, and I had this film thesis film, and it actually aired at 9/11 at the film festival. So that was the day it was supposed to air. <laughs> it was there. And so I remember the plane set and I was like, fuck my film. My film. My well, <laughs> that was your first thought. I know. Yeah. No, no, it, but when you realized it was a bigger scale than no, just oops a daisy. I had no idea what that was going on. Right. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shit, those planes are One plane. That's, that's a horrible accident. That's fucked. Well, I didn't, I didn't know. You're forgiven. Planes, You're forgiven for having that thought. I yeah. didn't know those planes were filled <laughs> with people, first of all. But, um, right, because there was a lot of confusion at the moment. Correct? You had no idea. What, I had no idea what was going on. Because it was for us. I think I woke up at like five o'clock in the morning. Business had already the, the day had already started. Right for yeah. for you guys. Right. Where it, where were you in relationship to what was going on? So I was working A and E Television at the time. I was like a PA, whatever. Okay. And uh, I think the first plane hit then, and then nobody knew what was going on. You know, in terms of the attack. You know. The loss, the mass, massive loss of life that happened, and the second plane hit, and then I think everyone knew it was a terrorist attack. Yeah, something's and, fucked. Yep, and so I think everybody went home, and you, you know, I I walked back to, uh, you know, Greenwich Village where I was living at the time, and it was just a complete shit show in New York. So you could smell everything. I was just going to ask you. So from where you were, from to where um, the the twin towers were, could you see? I'm assuming you could just see nothing but smoke in the sky. I'm assuming smoke, and you could smell it too. You could. Mm -hmm. But were 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 you far enough away that you could not actually see the towers from where you in the area that you were, but more just the chaos in the sky? I couldn't see the towers, but you could. I could uh, see the chaos in the sky in terms of the smoke and smell and what was it like living in manhattan and though at the, the, the rest of that day i mean does that was was it like a numbing were people just wandering the streets was it still business as usual in your neighborhood or was it like a complete like no, it was definitely it was different panic it was or different. what was what I, was I the vibe I, I think i got confronted on the subway like once or twice uh just like maliciously and i think i just like walked away because people didn't know you know people again it's very you know, obviously, like, you're, like, an educated person. There are people in New York who are just, like, off the streets, you know, and they see, like, oh, Brown, terrorist attack. Put the two together. This guy's a terrorist. So And the news feeds fear. The news needs you to be afraid in order to get ratings, so they fucking put that shit out there as well. I just want to be clear, because <clears throat> people have a tendency to forget things very quickly, but anybody mm-hmm. ever heard of a Japanese internment camp? Yep. That okay, America so, does not want to talk about ever. Right. My, my point is, when when people like you share those stories, people are like, ah, oh, it couldn't have been that bad. Let me tell you something. Dude. I, America has a history of doing we were, things. We were literally five minutes away from putting people in camps at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you, it, and especially because everything is like happening so rapidly and everyone's freaking out. I can only imagine. And this, is just, this is just day one. You got, already got people yelling at you? Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't yelling like... 
you know, like maniacally. Right, right, right. Look right. in my face. In fact, the next week, I remember I was booked at this club called the Uptown Comedy Club in the Bronx, and it was like an urban club. And uh, I was walking to the stage, and as soon as I was walking, they started yelling at the entire audience, was like, like, fuck you, Osama. Screw you, Bin Laden. And I was like, holy Jesus. shit, this is crazy. You know, and Predominantly I, black crowd? Yes, it was all. Wow. So, How are you performing when people dude, are yelling that at you? What is your opening bit at that so, point? What did I say? I go, I go, guys, guys, I was such an idiot. <laughs> I go, guys, you don't think I've been affected by this? And I brought it down to like a silence. I was like, I was supposed to be at work that day when the plane hit. And I was like, man, I can't believe they did it without me. Dude, people started throwing chairs. Oh, and like wow. Youth. That is <laughs> wow. youth. They stopped the entire show. And Too the host, soon. The, entire, they, the host pulled me. He was like, dude, he's like, I'm just going to escort you out of this club now because they're going to kill you. Did you realize right after that came out of your mouth, you probably shouldn't have said that? Or did it take you a well, second? I was so pissed off. I was so pissed yeah, off. Yeah, you're mad because they're not giving you a chance they, and they're I fucking mean, they assuming. Were, they were just like yelling a racist shit at me. And I was like, I'm just going to flip it on you guys right here and just... <laughs> You know, see where this goes. <laughs> you saw and, where it went. And I was like a young kid, so I didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, I'm, shit. Uh, to me, good for you for, I mean, fuck it. Because that that's just, a, I can't even imagine people just screaming at you as you're walking to the stage. Like, you even let me fucking open my mouth and you're already prejudging me? Yeah, it was, no, it actually, it was a memorable moment. And, uh, you know, I never went back to that club. Oh. Also, fuck that club. Yeah. Um. So, here, so the, uh, going on top of that, um... Flying around that time was that? Did you get a lot of stares? No. Um, after that, I mean, look, I'm from New Hampshire, so I made that very clear. Like, I think I'm consciously like wore my baseball cap more. You Hello, know, I like love this. the New York Yankees. Hello, <laughs> how is everybody? Hello, like, my name is Tarun. You know, like you hear me speak, yeah. like I'm very Americanized. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't think I got it as bad okay. as a lot of the, you know, the Indians, like the Sikh. You if know, you're wearing rappers. religious, exactly. yeah. If you have a big beard, exactly. So. I was very fortunate not to. I mean, I did get again spoken to in subways sure. and people c- confronted me, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the horror stories. Yeah, if I, I heard you on the about. phone and then saw a picture, I go, "That is one tan ass white dude." So I remember out here going back to the stand up. Um, I remember out here it was it was it was a very slow roll for stand up to kind of get back and going. And you're talking about a week later, you're doing stand up, but like in general, as a as a stand up. In New York, what was that scene like for, I mean, and how long did it take for it to kind of really kind of come back around, right? That, that, that's just got to be a weird environment to be in where you know that they're they're down the street somewhere, you know, still trying to dig out what has happened. And for quite a long time, right? Yeah, look, uh, again, that was a horif- horrific thing that happened. Yeah. I was actually kind of irritated at a lot of comedians because... I think I just saw that as like a wedge or as, as, a, as yeah. an opportunity. Hey, to be I'm, now, edgy. I'm, I'm now the 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 Muslim comedian who's oppressed. That you know, it was like oh, all people of a, were doing. Oh, 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 oh you're okay. saying? Oh, all, you're, I all see. All of a sudden, people were like talking. You know, like that was like they're in. You know, oh like, really? Oh, this is interesting to listen to. And you know, I'm not gonna say any names, but some people actually built careers off this now, where they're, you know, they like they're the ethnic comedian. You know, talking about blah blah blah. Because before they never really had an angle, and now this pushed it to the forefront. So you saw that them, change. I totally saw that change among many comedians. I I can think of two right now that 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 benefit that not bad. I wouldn't say benefited, but um, used the the situation. Sure, I'll give you a name. Alpha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not. Yeah, we're not yeah. into shit. But I mean, for, but, but comedy in general, was it hard to jumpstart that for a second? Did you see? 
or were people eager to get back out and look for escape? Like, just as far as audiences and, like, what the environment was like, you know, post 9-11 for, like, the first couple months after that. I think, I think people were looking for an escape okay. from, from just the mood in New York, the zeitgeist in New York. People, you could tell it was sensitive, but people still went to comedy clubs and they wanted to laugh because there was such a somber you know, atmosphere. Did you um, did you feel that same sense of like the the rallying cry with everybody like around there as well? Like everybody kind of felt like like people were like nicer to each other in general. Like is that or is that just a myth that everybody talks about? I mean, I never saw that. That's New okay. York. New York City people are just kind of angry in general. There's a grind <laughs> which the, which a city puts you through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think at heart people are generally good people. Yeah, yeah. So if you find your friends, you're gonna stick together. That's interesting. I, I, I'm glad you, you shared that experience because, I mean, for, for two reasons, obviously, you know, being, especially trying to be an entertainer and be funny in a time like that where it's just like, oh, and you're trying to be a creator, you're trying to be creative and, and, and being in that lighthearted arena, if you will, you know, and then realizing, oh, shit, people may have treated you a little bit differently for a short period of time because of the ignorance or the, you know, the panic during that time. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. Yeah. Can I ask you uh, one wrap-up question here is... From who you were when you were that little kid, you know, watching Adam Sandler from your hometown on Saturday Night Live, and what you set out to do, and where you, how your journey has been, how do you feel about your ride so far, and wh- where do you want to go from here? I mean, where I want to go from here, uh, you know, is listening to you talk about your kid. First of all, I mean, that was amazing because for me, I would love to get married, have kids sometimes, and sometimes I think the career. I put so much weight into it, it dictates my actions. You know, like, I never wanted to be that, you know, you know, dad working, struggling as a comedian. But for me, I just want to kind of, to answer your question, just enjoy the moments of it. Like, I want to make sure, like, I'm there for my family, my parents, and just be fulfilled as a person. Whatever it is I'm doing, I want to enjoy the process of it. I mean, at this point in our lives, I feel like... <laughs> You know, we're all going to die at some point. You want to make sure you're doing... We're about halfway you, now. Yeah, you want to enjoy the journey of it. Like, I'm I'm done forcing myself, you know, trying to do things that I don't really the, like the, doing. That you're miserable when you're doing them. You're like, why the fuck am I doing this? But I could do that in my 20s because I felt like, oh, this you is what I had that you to had do. to do. Yeah, exactly. You felt like that was the that was the game. It was, okay, yeah, you got to be miserable at these things so you can achieve this. And then you realize as you age and you kind of, And I don't want to say soften in a bad way, but... My edges are, you know, rounded. I'm not as angry and not as pointy. So, but like you just realize, like, oh, I need to enjoy all of this, or there, there's no point in it. That's a great thing, and that yeah. only came from the hardship. Yes, you went through absolutely, and age, and life experience, <laughs> and all that shit. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I mean, I get it. I was a fucking idiot when I was in my 20s. Most people are. You can't really do anything about that. Nope. Well, you no, know, you can't. To get a time travel machine? I mean, yeah, right. I'd love to take a time travel machine and fucking... Well, if you watch movies, they could be anything. It could be uh, that Christmas tree that's sitting over there. Good point. Ho- or, or a hot tub. Ho- holiday tree. Or a hot tub. That is a hot holiday tree. Or, uh... Well, Tarun. 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 So it's the ah, the right? The T-H and then the ah. Tarun. Tarun. Will you be annoyed if I try calling you that? You're no. never. You're probably going to go back to calling him the other way, and he's accepted that. But I, I but you should always give it okay. a shot. Always <laughs> give it a shot. What do you put on your Starbucks coffee cups? What do you, What do they end up putting on there? Mike. Oh. Or what do you say? <laughs> I say Thai. You do. 
And so it, do they do it T I E N T H A I or it's it's fifty fifty. Yeah. Uh, but I let them have their fun. Whatever they <laughs> just do whatever you guys gotta do. Yeah. Funniest thing I ever saw was I told them that my name was Mark with a C and they wrote Kark on the fucking <laughs> C A R K. <laughs> That's hilarious. My name's Mark with a C. Okay, Kark. <laughs> 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 so I'll all be right. done with this and just there we go. Sorry, thank no, no, you. Well, no, it's dude, fine. You're enjoying you, yourself. <clears throat> thank you for coming on. We have been trying to get yeah. on for a while, and I appreciate it. Oh, Making the drive. Thank you very much. <clears throat> well, let's, well, your book. You want to? Oh plug? yeah, 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 yeah. The book. Yeah, you know, I wrote this book. Uh, it's like a novel based on you know truth, but it's actually selling really well. And I think part of it's because I'm really honest with it. So I'd love to just keep you know writing more books, buy more time. So it's called Laughing in Hell. It's available. Whatever Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. You can get it on Amazon. Yeah. Laughing in Hell. Everywhere. Well, I'll, pu- I'll put a link up to it. I appreciate that. Yeah, what man. inspired you to write a book? I felt like for so many years I was writing stuff for the industry, trying to just get things so I can make something. And in the book, I was like, I'm just going to write something that's authentically who I am, without any, without any goals or aspirations. In fact, I had this director chick reach out because she was interested. And I didn't give a shit if she optioned it, optioned it or not because it was the first the real thing I wrote the, where I didn't care if you read it or not. You know, obviously I'm pushing it right now in this podcast, but well, no, but right, it, yeah, it's it was so freeing to write something and not care what the results were. So I'd love to keep going down that path of creating without being dictated by the end result. But did you have to worry about going into another arena where there could be rejection, or did you just self-publish so you didn't have to worry about it? I self-published so I wouldn't have to worry, but I've been writing for years, like my, my blogs and, and everything, and I've always wanted to write a book, and I kind of st- stopped and started, but I got so busy with my other projects, so I went to New Hampshire for two months to help my parents move, and uh, that's when I really just kind of cranked out and finished it. And it that's was, awesome. Yeah, that's great, dude. Experience. I mean, it's hard enough to fucking finish a sketch you know, write a sketch, a two-page sketch. And like now I think while writing scripts, I'm like, man, that takes for a book is like a whole other thing. It's like a beast. Yeah. It was hard to write, but again, super liberating, and I'm really glad I did it. How long did it take you? I mean, it took me about a year and a half. Okay. That's pretty it. good. How many pages is it? Like 140. Whoa. How many pictures are in it? How many pictures oh, are in it? It's a coloring book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. It's Thank God. Here's me getting off the plane in New York, <laughs> coloring it in. Like That's awesome. Thanks again for coming, man. This yeah, man. Great Thank you. Guys. Yeah, absolutely. It. Tarun Shetty, check him out. Uh, we'll put the link to his book. Uh, the web series is funny. Bobby Khan is funny. Find that on YouTube. And uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 